When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And I'm simply suggesting that while not North Korea, you want to have a way of understanding the world that could have you plop down in different times and different places and still function. <laughs> Welcome to 2021. What yeah. do you got for us today? 2020 is over. It's going to be completely different. Every mm. problem is solved. COVID is cured. COVID's done. Orange man bad is gone. <laughs> 2021 here for victory. What do you have for us today? It's going to be different. So I used a Google extension called Get Focused to block Reddit. So I have very little related to the news, but it let me read more. So I have a lot more philosophical stuff. Cool. So one news thing that I thought was interesting. Trump is trying to repeal Section 230. So we've talked about this. This is the thing that lets YouTube and Twitter and all the platforms simultaneously censor people and not get in trouble for copyright infringement and things like that. Trump is trying hard to penalize those platforms for what he thinks is losing him the election. Mm -hmm. So there's this thing. It's related to tech companies. It has nothing to do with anything else. He's refusing to pass the defense budget unless they add repealing Section mm -hmm. 230 into the defense budget bill. Mm -hmm. Or he's refusing to sign the stimulus increase that he wanted mm -hmm. to get people from 600 to 2000, unless it also includes the repeal of Section 230. Mm. And it's just fascinating to me how messed up our government is that someone can take completely unrelated things and say, oh, did you want to pay our soldiers? You have to punish the tech companies. Well, or, hey, did you want to give stimulus checks to people? Only if you punish the tech companies. Yeah. And this is not to defend Trump or anybody in particular, but also there's, uh, there's some... The way that this is reported, I heard from someone else, is even shady because apparently this is the norm. Like when you're when you're when you're funding the government for the duration of the year, the defense budget, whatever, all the way through September 2021. I can't even say 2021. <laughs> <laughs> you very typically have these pork laden bills. So this is almost par for the course. Not oh, saying I that agree. it ought to be the no, case. This isn't. Yeah. I'm not saying Trump bad. I'm saying our government is so wonky. Yeah, because. They do this all the time. Basically, mm -hmm. what they'll say is, oh, you Democrats, you want to increase the stimulus for 
regular people from 600 to 2000. Well, what we want is to repeal Section 230. Mm -hmm. So instead of just assessing if we should increase stimulus, treating it as an isolated like decision, deciding what's best for the country and then voting, they go, if you get what you want, you have to give us something we want. In the same, yeah. Which is just terrible. You would never run. Imagine if we ran our business this way. Mm-hmm. Every time we disagreed, we just strong-armed each other into not giving the person what they wanted. Well, you know, it's interesting, and I haven't thought about this. The reason that our business works is because it's built on a foundation of trust yep. and not quid pro quo. And our government, it appears, at least within the Congress, is not today built on a foundation of trust if it ever was in history. It's mm-hmm. built on, and when you don't trust people, all that you have is quid pro quo because you can't give them something and understand that they owe you one well, <laughs> and, and they'll give think, something back. I think even beyond, well, I guess it's similar to trust. If you thought that every person in Congress from their own way with their own values was going to try to do what was best for America, mm-hmm. then you could just take each issue and debate it until people came to some form of majority consensus about what was best for America. Mm-hmm. But people have completely lost faith in their ability to persuade the other side to do something that isn't right in line with their party lines, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. I feel like it's weird. It reminds me of this comment. And reasonably so, because when was the last time somebody, like more than one dude like Rand Paul or some independent yeah, yeah. cross party lines? Well, it reminds there's this YouTube comment that was talking about uh, Thomas Sowell. And they were, they were like, oh, of course he supports conservative policies. He's a conservative. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. He <laughs> assessed the policies decided he likes these and now gets labeled a conservative. But I think today's politics, people have gotten that confused. And that's what Congress is being told gets them reelected. So it's just all about incentives. They think if they cross the party line, they'll just lose to someone who comes up and says, that guy's not a real Democrat. That guy's not a real Republican. Or, and I'm sure that what goes on behind the scenes is that their colleagues won't work with them, that they will not get on the committees that they want to get on, that their career will stall. Yeah, yeah so that the whole, so the you whole get this system- terrible broken system where it's like, oh, you guys want stimulus checks? Well, we're literally going to write into that bill that you have to repeal this tech thing that we made in 1996. Mm-hmm. And now the Democrats have to go, well, how bad do we want the increased stimulus bill? Mm-hmm. Are we willing to give up this thing that we also support? Well, this is... I think the fundamental problem here is forget the fact that Congress is four or 500 people, whatever, 535, depending on, I don't even know the exact number. I think that's it. Uh, the nation is 300 plus million, 330, 340. I don't know exactly how you can't trust everybody at that size. Like yeah. you don't have a relationship with everybody. You don't think that they're necessarily a good person. I don't know how else you can get that many people to cooperate other than a common religion, <laughs> a common myth, or just ridiculous quid pro quo. We're going to move at a glacial speed. And or a common enemy. Someone, or a common enemy. <laughs> that the Democrats hate more than the Republicans, yeah. and the Republicans hate more than the Democrats. Yeah. That would do it. Yeah. So I you and I think you you acknowledge this. It, it's the system isn't broken. It's designed like this because it's so massive that gridlock is an important piece of getting people who don't like each other, don't agree to not take many steps at all because because so many people don't want to take those steps. So you only move forward in areas where there's two thirds consensus or, you know, the vast majority of people can agree. It's it's uh, I'm not saying that it's a good thing. I just don't know how else you would get such a large group of people to make decisions for everybody. I don't know, but I do feel like the government is less efficient than businesses. And maybe that's a myth that I'm a sucker for. Mm -hmm. But It does seem crazy that if Elon and his board were debating what to do with Tesla 
and he wanted to focus on batteries, that they would be like, okay, we're going to vote on batteries, but we're also going to vote on pension funding. Mm -hmm. And if you want your batteries, you have to agree to more pension funding. Mm -hmm. A business would never do that. They would just focus on batteries, Yep. figure out what was the best thing to do, and then talk about pension funding. So it, it does strike me as something unique to our government that's different from almost every other organization that is equally large. Mm -hmm. I think that there's probably two things. One business has a higher level hierarchy. Every senator gets one vote. There's committees. There's committees. I'm repeating syllables like mad today. Uh, so there's there's additional level of hierarchy. And at the top, there's only 12 board of directors that mm -hmm. hang out all the time and probably get along. And if they don't like somebody, they kick them out. Like they, there's, um, it's a narrower pyramid at the top, which I think allows for more consensus building. Well, I actually think it's what they're accountable to. Mm -hmm. they're, so their God uh, is profit. Yeah. And they all so they share the all same God. They all share the same Fair God. Fair enough, yeah. Well, the politicians all share the same God, I actually think, also. It's getting reelected. By a different constituency. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's the problem, actually. Is the way, I think, I'm starting to think the world is a lot more just the outcome of predictable incentive structures. Mm -hmm. Businesses, not necessarily the best God, but they worship short-term profit. And so when they make a decision, they all know what they're trying to do. In Congress, they all know what they're trying to do, which mm -hmm. is get reelected and then help the country afterwards. Mm -hmm. That's like second. And so that puts them at odds because I think the way the world is right now, a lot of Americans do identify party first, policy second. Mm -hmm. And so if someone crosses the party line, I think there is a good chance that the opposition will use that as a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. Whereas ideally, you would want that to be a sign of strength. Like, hey, listen, I'm generally a Republican. I'm generally a Democrat. But when I see something that makes sense, I do it regardless of who promoted the bill. Mm -hmm. But I think that for the average voter, that's less compelling than someone just going, this guy betrayed us. He betrayed us on this sure. issue. Well, it's, it's you could imagine a business. What, what you're saying is the problem isn't the people in Congress because they actually all have the same goal. It's that they achieve their goal in different means. So imagine mm -hmm. a business where it was broken up into divisions that wound up competitive with one another, and each one was represented in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. What you would have is a circumstance very similar to this, which is, I want to grow my product line, and I don't give a damn about your product yeah. line. So there's not that unifying thing. So and you do get that, but the thing mm -hmm. is, you have a you have a big papa bear mm -hmm. who settles the arguments, and mm -hmm. we don't have that. And I'm not saying that would be good in the government. But and and businesses can, I mean, that's that happens, but hopefully they realign their incentive structure to be, okay, division matters. Your the, the performance of your division matters, but you're also paid based on the performance of the company or you're not fired, <laughs> who knows? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so what you're saying is that the problem, which I, I, I think is the case, is the widespread division at the level of constituency. The voters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which that, which that they, necessitates that these people have to hate one another yes. and, and and or at least appear to that most voters to get reelected. Convinced that if somebody crosses the party line on policy, they have betrayed the voter. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Or and it and I don't know that it's it could be beyond the voter. It could be there could be larger mechanisms in terms of fundraising that make it then difficult to persuade voters sure. that you know what I mean? But somewhere in there, yeah. I I uh I think that that's likely the case, and I don't know how to change it. <laughs> no, no, I just thought it was interesting. It's like, today we're going to have a vote on if we should have a defense budget, and also at the same time, Section 230. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, all right, this is how our government works. Yeah. What a shit show. Yeah. So beyond that, oh, this is a real quick one. I'm making a video on trash talk, and I wanted to write down a note to myself. If anyone listening could make a public comment of trash talk that made you like someone more, 
or someone tried to trash talk and it made you dislike them, that'd be very helpful for me and Charisma on Command. Mm-hmm. So think, think. Uh, I don't want to put you too long, hard in this direction, but Conor McGregor is going to play prominently into this one, so you don't necessarily have to pick Conor. Ben's looking into Conor's trash talk, but if there's another athlete or business tycoon who trash talked there yeah ideally outside of sports mm-hmm. you know i think uh i'm convinced that trump won the republican primary largely because of his ability to trash <laughs> yeah, yeah, talk yeah. the opposition so if there's any other stories like that that'd be awesome but in sports is is good too mm-hmm. there's a there's a fun larry bird one where he basically walks up to the three-point competition at the all-star game and he just while everyone else is there before him he shows up late he walks up and goes yo which one of you guys is coming in second <laughs> and, every, and immediately just demoralizes everybody and then he goes out and wins yeah, so yeah. just trying to find little videos like that I don't know what it's going to be about yet, if it's going to be pro or anti-trash talk, but (laughs) that would be helpful. Cool. Uh, The next thing I had, this is a question. So we've talked a lot about privacy Mm -hmm. and how we're getting recorded by our phones and people don't mind and cancel culture is attacking people for things that they're on record for saying, but we don't realize that we're all on record for saying it. And I was thinking because I'm reading 1984 again. And so I was thinking, why don't we care? Why are we so fine to just give up our privacy? Like people really don't mind at all. We found out TikTok was spying on us from China and no one deleted TikTok. Yeah. Do you think that it has anything to do with the fact that a lot of Americans are Jewish or Christian and so are raised from a young age that God is watching everything they do? (laughs) No. And so they just grow up. You don't think so? (laughs) No. I was thinking maybe it's just that people already as a children get comfortable with the idea of an all-knowing, all-seeing panopticon. Someone powerful is watching them. And so then when they find out that someone powerful is watching them, they just go, yeah, well, this makes sense. Yeah, this is, I've been this doing this my whole life. I mean, it's it's an interesting theory. I don't think that's it because I think that you would see it in places with without strong religious backgrounds just just as much. I don't think you could find pockets of, of atheistic America that don't use TikTok in the well, same Well, no way. one's really raised atheists. I wonder if, I wonder if there's other religious countries areas. take That's Europe take Europe Europe is far less religious nowadays I mean we're the religious extremists that came out of England and moved here and yeah, like yeah. don't sell alcohol on Sundays on the east coast at the very least they're not any more protective of their privacy not as far as I could tell they did have the GDPR but that again was at a at a state and uh, nation state level not at the individual level I'm pretty sure they're they're very into their TikTok I think it's impossible to imagine it being used against you it's well yeah because most people won't be it's only if you defy well, whoever has the yeah, power yeah. to get the information. Well, think of it. When was the time that someone you know had their privacy invaded to their detriment? Can you think of a single time? I no. can't. I can't. Um, could it happen? Yes. But like, there, it has been entirely benign up until today. I think that's the reason. Well, not benign, but it's been mostly used to try to separate people from their money by getting them to buy things they don't need. Sure. So like a benign, I mean, like benign tumor, like it's not not necessarily a good thing, but it's not killing you like. No, no. Well, what they mm -hmm. I mean, currently what they Mm -hmm. use it for is to figure out how to market to you. Yes. They'll get you to buy things that you don't need. Mm -hmm. But we all we we, I mean, that's that's a game that we play with them. You know, thank God for them distracting us because otherwise we'd have to face the inner emptiness. (laughs) You know, like uh, we don't want them to stop promising that happiness is on the other side of a purchase no for sure but i think that is that is the current it's not like the data so far hasn't had a cost i think it just has that cost yes and i 
don't, yeah, so that cost is not one people would at all be willing to separate with. Like, you're going to tell me I'm going to get untargeted ads? Like, how yeah. will I know what to want? <laughs> uh, no, people don't want that yeah, at all. Yeah, because people don't, you're saying most people don't want to not People want. like their targeted ads. Yeah. I like my targeted ads to a degree, you know? Like, I want, tell me the new movie that I care about or the, the, whatever. As opposed to, I remember growing up, it was, you know, like Carl's Jr. ads. And I, I don't want to see Well, it's this. funny, the less, but the less <laughs> compelling the ads are, the more money you keep more money I keep. Yeah. Yes. Like the less you buy, the yes. less you spend. Yes. Yes. But that's certainly, and that link is not, I think, strong in my mind or in many other people's minds. Uh, no, I think, I don't think it's religious in its nature. I think, I think it's that you can't imagine anything bad coming of it. Mm -hmm. And you hear these one-off stories that just, it's, it's just a never going to be me type thing. Yeah. And maybe in the future, it'll be obvious to people when it starts cracking down in a, in a way that is, you know, your friend and this person, and this person, and now you can't talk, but, uh, it's also a boil the frog thing oh, where where we are nothing bad has happened, but I think you and I and people who are on camera have become acutely aware that they need to bite their tongue. It's so crazy to watch someone like Bill Burr. I've seen him bite his tongue, not set, not finish his sentence when he's saying things mm. because he can't give the example. And the one clip that I just sent to you, he's talking about cancel culture. And he's saying, these people, you make a joke about and they act like it's, you know, like he can't, he can't say what he wants to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone who's on camera and maybe I, people might not get this who, um, who don't have YouTube channels or podcasts or, or it become, or, or anything like that. I'll finish my sentence. It, it becomes big brother. It becomes the default mode of thinking when you're in front of a camera. It, it, it weighs on you so heavily that I don't think the average citizen understands. My impression is that it actually is getting like that in certain areas. Is it? Like college campuses, for instance. Maybe. Uh, my impression is that you, if you're on a college, and I could totally be wrong, but if you're on a college campus, there is a sense of be careful what you say at mm -hmm. all times. Uh, I was just, I was at Christmas with a kid who's 19 and he was telling me about college. He said, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're a Republican, you just bury that deep until you're in a room that you are positive mm -hmm. is all Republicans. Because if you just come out and you don't even say you're pro-Trump, you just say like, I vote red, mm -hmm. that it's bad. Yeah. That well, it's considered a bad thing. And I kind of blurred lines here. I mean, you were talking about the government and these companies collecting your data and doing God knows what with it. And then on the other side is stuff that we're, consciously and purposefully putting out into the world being used by our peers to uh, cancel or shut you down or, or make you sad. And I think that those will increasingly unite. Like mm -hmm. the way to take out a political person in the future is going to be to do the Donald Trump grab him by the pussy reveal and it'll work with most people. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like For sure. Uh, oh, that would have canceled most people. That would have canceled everyone in the world except for Donald Trump. Yeah. I mean, he he is... Teflon in a way that I don't know anyone else is. But no, that, that'll be very effective if mm -hmm. you just get an audio or a text screenshot of someone who's running for office. Mm -hmm. you, could, you could submarine a campaign. Yes, and, I, and I'm sure that that has already happened, but I don't think it's happened as much with backroom dealings at Twitter or Google mm -hmm. or YouTube. You don't even need it at this point. It's unnecessary. Yeah. But what's crazy is like, all the pornography searches that have ever been done, every video that's ever been watched, the one that have been clicked off on, and you can assume that was the, the finish of, of that particular session, that's all logged. Yeah. That's all tracked to individuals. And all that you have to do is tell someone who is uncomfortable with what any of those things say about them that 
this can be leaked. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this can be known by everyone in the United States. Do you still want to run? Do you still want to support this bill? Do you still want to, uh, you know, hire this or fire this or do anything? I mean, it is so easy to blackmail people with things that they do within just about any 72 hour period. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Uh, but yeah, it's, we don't think about it. We don't know about it. And also to live, to live a life like you would if you assumed it was going to be used to your detriment. It's like kind of like Will Smith, an enemy of the state. Like you, gotta, you throw away all your technology, you run away, you're constantly checking your pocket yeah. because eventually you're going to do something that <laughs> that you're not going to be. No, for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, and I think it makes public office way less appealing. Yeah. I imagine that there's probably a lot. It's probably less sexy mm. than when Bill Clinton was growing up and JFK was president. He's like, I want to do that. I want to be a senator. I want to be the president. I imagine now for most people that going to politics is being associated with a huge headache, not getting much done and getting publicly shit on. Yeah. <laughs> well, same thing. You know, what's crazy is it's it's not just the presidency because at this point to run for the presidency, you have to be willing to have your family turned inside out. Every, everything in your life is going to be scrutinized yeah. and represented to half the country in the worst possible way that imaginable. And even some that are just stretches that are completely factually untrue yeah that's happening also to supreme court judges that's happening at, mm -hmm. at, at levels cascading down from the presidency uh such that being it is it has completely turned me off from the idea that i want anything to do with any public position in fact i don't we talk about charisma on command i don't even want to be public facing with charisma on command <laughs> yeah. anymore i want to be like i want to go set up a psychedelic center and work closely with people that look me in the eye and it's like this is our interaction <laughs> it yeah, cannot yeah. be you're, misconstrued you're, say, you're saying <laughs> your your idea would be that someone's like who runs charisma on command i don't know it's the charisma on command guy yes and so it's the same quality content still your voice but just no one knows oh yeah that's charlie yeah yeah and that was not my ideal i mean rob lowe talked about it on joe rogan he's like oh dude fame in the 80s was awesome yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it was so cool and he doesn't even elaborate on it he's just like it was the best today it's terrible yeah. it's the worst I, anyone who wants it is a lunatic and uh the, i i feel like i was probably right on the cusp of that. And I'm not famous by any means, but, you know, became semi well-known, have been stopped in the street on many occasions. Uh, and I'm, I want less of it. I want less of everything to do sure. with fame. I like being able to impact people, but it's, it doesn't require fame. Yeah. Like you can, you can, there are YouTube channels much larger than me where you've never seen the face of the narrator. Uh, sure. So, so I got to ask, why do the podcast then? Cause this is, this is what puts your face out there. Yeah, it yeah. also puts, Political beliefs, well, religious beliefs, philosophical beliefs. So this is a great, we can pivot here. I was thinking about New Year's resolutions and what I wanted and all that stuff. I don't often do it, but it's a, it's just a any occasion to yeah. reflect. You're about to announce that we're shutting down the podcast. We're shutting it. No, I'm about to announce that I am happy exactly where it is. Like I wanted to make a little bit more. Justin had set a goal to make $4,000 a month. We, this month, I think between Patreon and ads and a sponsor are somewhere like 3300 yeah, slightly over 3K. Well, yeah, I have a sponsor for us today later. Woohoo! So Justin, I got you some money. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, comparing, and I enjoyed the conversation with Vosh, but uh, the comments after, which were, I don't blame him at all for this, uh, his side seemed to misunderstand me in ways that I thought were difficult, but 
okay, <laughs> you know, that, that happened. And I was looking through them. I was like, I was glad that people got value out of the conversation, but the people that I care the most about are the ones that stick around, listen to us for a long period of yeah, time. Yeah. And quite frankly, we already have the number that I'm totally satisfied with. So thank you all. We did it. We made it. I hope you continue to watch. I hope that you continue to enjoy it. And I hope it continues to be interesting what we're putting out. But uh, mission accomplished. This yeah. is what I want it to be. It does not need to exponentially grow. I want to hit Justin's goal. And if Justin has more goals, we can talk about that. But like, I don't ever want to make, and I might change this, but right now, I don't want to make a dime off this. Yeah. Because then it's not fun. Then it can be taken from me. Then it can, yeah, then I have sure. to worry. This is just enjoyable. And it, it is interesting. The comments are, <laughs> are so much more hostile with a guest. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's something like their, their audience just comes in, except with actually Brett Weinstein. Yeah. That was his, his audience was not vitriolic, but yeah. it's so interesting because you bring someone on, you largely agree with them. Mm. You disagree with them in parts. Yeah. People see you disagree with someone that they hold in high esteem. And then they feel it's their job to defend via attack mm -hmm. is what it's it's has seemed with guests to the point where it's like, OK, so I don't have a guest on and then just agree with them the whole time unless I actually agree with them. So I'm going to have someone on largely agree with them, disagree with them a little bit and then just get blasted by the comments. Yeah. So I sent Justin a message. I said, hey, man, I got to unsubscribe from our <laughs> comments. So Justin's going to now send me a roll up each. Well, week this is comments. where I landed. I enjoy normal podcast comments. Me too. They're thoughtful. They're uh, uh, even when they disagree, actually, with yep. the, we had thing where we we're talking about eating venison and mm -hmm. a bunch of vegan people came up uh, with different arguments, never attacking, though. Never ad hominem. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They just said, hey, here's the problem I see with your argument. Mm -hmm. And when you have guests, fans come on who don't really know you, it switches from, hey, I think there's a hole in the argument to, hey, you're a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally, it just goes from zero to 100. So so what I realize is I've, I've said don't read the comments, but I actually what I want is a circle of comments that 98% of them are additive to my life. And I mean, we we stopped eating that venison. Like yeah. I've I've grown from interacting with the comments. You know, it's we speak, you guys type. <laughs> uh, I get into the comments sometimes and I write stuff. So this is what I, I will continue to do guests, but we are at this audience size, if it doesn't shrink, that I'll continue to read the comments. I'll continue to put out podcasts. I will continue to enjoy my conversations with you. I'll continue to learn from the comments and that's it. Uh, so we did it. Yay. Let's get Justin. <laughs> let's get Justin a little bit more. We appreciate you, so patrons. No, we appreciate the patrons. But um if you and if you have more financial goals, we can talk about it. But I want this to serve your financial goals and to be an enjoyable experience for you and I that that we don't need financially. Yeah. No, that's something I noticed too. That it, to unless I don't engage with it, to the extent that I engage with a guest podcast to the level I do, just you and I, it is just worse. Yeah. For for my brain. Yep. You know what I mean? Yes. So I was thinking of this with regards to New Year's resolutions. And obviously, what gets measured gets managed. And there's these default dashboards in our lives. In mm. my life, it's the YouTube. If you've ever logged into YouTube Studio because you have a YouTube channel, it has this, how many views did you get? How much money did you make? And then it has next to it a green up percentage from the last 30 days mm. or a red down arrow. And it programs your brain to want green, 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 mm. which can only happen if you have more, 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 yeah. <laughs> right? And so I need a new dashboard. Yeah. And what I want on the dashboard is, I was thinking through it, I have to work, I want uh, the ratings of Charisma University and Emotional Mastery, like the average ratings of the people going through the course. Mm -hmm. uh, I want 
uh, a subjective rating of the performance that, I, that I'll make and happiness of our employees that I will mm. try to interact with more. I think I want dollars donated to charity <laughs> and like hours spent playing guitar mm. <laughs> or something like that. Like, and I want that dashboard in my face yeah. with green arrows yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. like and red arrows. I noticed co-founder happiness. Was, uh, <laughs> I think you accidentally left it off. Well, well, I want you to have your own dashboard. Yeah. I want you to set your own dashboard that that is your thing. Uh, and if people within the organization want to have financial goals, like that's that will get filtered up to me with like, are they getting, are they yeah, happy? Yeah. Are they growing? And like, of course, we're going to have people uh, at various levels of the organization that do have financial goals and it's yeah. totally appropriate. I feel fine. Um, I'm so, thinking like number of positive things said by strangers don't <laughs> know me, uh, constantly making more than last month for no reason except for that it's higher. What else could I have? Well, you know, the other thing that's funny is I was looking at this dashboard. I'm like, it has the most three recent comments, which is to say the most popular video, which is the video that went beyond your core audience. Yeah, we're yeah. going to tell you what strangers think about yeah. it. I was like, fuck it's this actually my least, That's actually my least favorite <laughs> part of the dashboard because I do like seeing sometimes audience retention yeah. or how videos are doing because we'll just for a little, you can switch a thumbnail or a title. Mm -hmm. So if a video is not doing well and you have the data, you can make a video that you're proud of, reach yeah. more people. But I hate that when you check it, you you get thrown in your face just yeah. to, hey, Here's what a stranger thought so, about this. So what about this? I, Justin, if you could, like, I want the best comments, the most interesting. That's what I said, right? I, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. give me a dashboard with the most fascinating, challenging, yeah. inspiring, or kind. Yeah, like the, the questions, the thoughtful challenges, yeah, yeah. things like that. No, uh, so I, I sent you a little thing. We'll, yeah. we'll figure it out, but he's going to send us a roll up. So the, mm -hmm. the not good as in positive, but the the good comments. You disagree from top to bottom. Yeah. Come to us, but the toxic ones. Justin will just. Mm -hmm. So yeah, <laughs> I'll <laughs> read them. <In laughs> get, terms, out, get out of here. To make this applicable to those of you listening, and hopefully you've, you've seen that there are corollaries, think of the dashboards in your lives. Mm -hmm. uh, there are numbers and places, and if you're in a sales organization, uh, it is, you know, they've got the thing on the wall. It is very difficult to resist that, and you start to uh, subconsciously program your life around chasing those green up arrows if yeah. you're not careful. No, and I think the other thing for everybody is if you're not measuring it and it's not on your dashboard, even if it is important, you won't do it. So I literally have, I have a whiteboard right there. I don't know if you noticed, but actually mm -hmm. uh, because of a conversation I had with our friend Benji, I wrote the things that I want to do every day. So surfing, stretching, read, meditation, a call mm -hmm. with a friend because there's no, nothing is telling me if I'm doing that or not. So mm -hmm. it's very easy to just get focused on work and whatever else is the default. And yep. so another example, when I was trying to uh, lose weight for my MMA fight, when I started measuring my calories, infinitely easier mm -hmm. to lose weight. But when I wasn't, I was like, what did I eat today? I don't mm -hmm. know. How does that compare? So yeah, I think everybody, even if you don't have a sales job, even if you're a student with no job, there's a way to create students, a dashboard. Well, like, I, I don't want to stay on this too long. Students, I mean, what matters? Your GPA, your grades, not the quality of the courses that you did, not if you learned, like, the, not if you learned a ton. How many, well, how many, how many friends, long friends are you making? Yes. That's something that I've heard a lot of people regret not focusing. A lot of high mm -hmm. GPA people, they go into school, they crush it, they get the good grades, they leave, they get the job. And when you talk to them, they're like, man, I really, I wish I'd just focused more on meeting people, yeah. going to parties, not, not to get drunk or try to hook up, but just because I don't have the network because I spent the time 
working alone. Hmm. You know what I mean? And I think one of the more valuable things you get from college is the people you're in touch with 10 years later. Yeah, I have two things. I'm gonna, I'll come back to college, but I wanted to wrap this. One of the reasons I was thinking about this is Ray Dalio, he had his son die. His 42 year old son, like a week ago, was in a car crash and died. And he put out one piece just saying how heartbroken and difficult it was. Didn't really say too much, but you could imagine, I'm not saying that he's, lived anything close to a bad life, but I would be willing to bet he'd trade all of his billions, all of his billions for like a day <laughs> with his yeah, son, yeah, yeah. like like any, any bit more time. And I don't want to live a life that's fear-based of like, oh my God, like keep everyone physically touching you until they're inevitably taken from you. But it is Tony Shea. Did you hear this? Mm-mm. You didn't hear that Tony Shea died? No. Okay, Tony Shea, we lived in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. He was the founder of Zappos. He uh, put $300 million in the downtown project, like revived downtown Las Vegas, was a, was the, a big figure in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. He died over Thanksgiving in a house fire with his brother. Oh, shit. Yeah, dude. So again, and it's just like all the things that you accumulate, and I realize I'm trying to accumulate things to keep me safe and happy. You know, mm-hmm. why do you want money? It's just just to be safe and happy. If yeah. anything happens, if the bottom drops out, if the dollar disappears, if the stock market crashes, uh, it's just, it's, it is some insurance. I don't want to say that money means nothing. Yeah. But at some point, it can't help you. It, it, it cannot prevent like these horrible tragedies yeah. from befalling, you know, car accidents, fires, cancer. Like it, it can save certain things, but I think I've overvalued and people have overvalued the amount of security that money provides to you. Mm. Um, and so it's a weird way of looking at it, but it's like, you know, I'm 33 years old. The core members of my family are all still alive. My dog is only three. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. like I am wealthy beyond measure at this point. And <clears throat> yeah. I will not always be. Like that. that is not gonna last. So it would be foolish of me to be tracking finances at this point in my life when in terms of, you know, the people who raised me, like I'm only gonna get poorer at some point sure. in my life. Or you, not say, to be a downer. Let's say only finances. Yeah. Let's say like it, it doesn't make sense. This is why I quit my job in, mm-hmm. in investment banking. I was doing 80 hour weeks so that I could be rich at 55, 45. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I just, I was thinking, okay, so I'm gonna just give up the years where I have the most energy, the most physical mm-hmm. fitness, the most friends, the most potential time with my parents while they're still able to do stuff. I'm gonna give all that up for two decades so that I can wake up with a higher number in my mm-hmm. bank account. And I totally appreciate that for people who don't have money, it can be life-changing. No, you there's know, a what, level, what's that yeah, Will yeah. Smith movie? Pursuit of Happiness. Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe that for that guy who went from homeless to Wall Street, life-changing in a very, very positive way. But I also think that after a certain point, you look at it and you go, this is just bad math mm-hmm. for me to stay in this job that I don't like, that demands all of my time such that I can be wealthy in middle age, mm-hmm. you know? Yep, yep. So I was thinking about that with regards to New Year's resolutions and how easy it is to set a financial. It's so easy Well, it's to easy, say- It's the easiest thing to track. Yeah. It's really hard to track happiness. It's sure. totally subjective. It, it flees moment to moment. Everything are, has a dollar sign. Like well, if, humans <laughs> are blessed with rosy retrospection mm-hmm. too. If you look back on something and it's too far away, you are very likely to inflate how- good it was. You minimize the bad, you kind of forget the bad. You know what I mean? It's called rosy retrospection. So it's so hard to measure happiness. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to measure dollars. It's but just, everything has a price to it. Yeah. And it's and it's funny because if, if you imagine if everything had a calorie 
to it, losing weight would become easier. Like you only, mm-hmm. it's like if you could only check your bank account or your finances, like you were just purchasing things blind and didn't really yeah. know how much they cost no, and, and, and got like a once a month, like you went down, you went up. No, <laughs> like, you, don't, you don't mean on the back of the food. You mean like, let's say you're wearing I mean, Google glasses. Google glasses. It, on your yeah. plate, it's going, this is 3,000 yeah, calories. Yeah, like, yeah. Shit, this is an entire day's worth of calories. And then you look at the mashed potatoes yeah. and it goes, this is 1,500 up to 3,000. <laughs> yeah. You go, I don't need the mashed potatoes that bad. And imagine if you had Google glasses for like, love or happiness or enjoyment sure. and you like stare at that job that was soul crushing and you're like this is negative yeah. and then you're like sun, you look at your sunshine. girlfriend and says this is also negative you're, <laughs> yikes um so yeah i'm going to try to do a better job and i think it means that in addition to having dashboards i need to shut down certain ones mm-hmm. like i need to physically restrict myself from access to uh, certain things. So we talked about stay focused and I've been on and off, but that's my, oh, I went nuclear. That was the other thing. Yeah. Google, Google Chrome extension, stay focused. You can set how much time. And so I was giving myself an amount of time on Reddit, 15 minutes. Yeah. And then I, well, this isn't really as much time. I, I don't have time to look at all the things I want. I'll up it to 30. And so I was doing 30 minutes a day. And then I was like, oh, well, I'll check it on my phone, you know, cause that's okay. I'll just do it for small minutes. And finally I just went nuclear. I just blocked it completely. Yeah. And that we'll that be back. Been, we always come back. No, Reddit. Sure, but that's, but that's <laughs> been much more effective. I will say like no sweets yeah. is much easier than one candy a day. Oh, I found no that, Reddit yeah. is so much easier than 15 minutes of Reddit. A day. Sure. So, yeah. So I've been that's that's what my where my brain is at right now. Uh, things that I want to focus on are all of those things. And I've mentioned this in the past. I think when you're reactive to those other things, you actually wind up helping way less because yeah. you can get rich without helping. You can not get canceled without helping. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just say a bunch of safe things. And I'm going to try to make helping a thing. We discuss, I'm still kicking it around in my head. This, like, if I can set up some sort of a call or a teaching thing for YouTube. If you're thinking Why about- Combinator, dude. Well, if you're setting up finances, you go, I'll do a course. But if you're thinking about helping, you go, well, how many people will I really help with a course? Um, so I'm, I'm going to try to set up the right dashboard to move me in the right direction to do things that I know are good, but are, it's like eating your veggies that you don't, you don't naturally gravitate towards. Sorry, I'm confused because I literally just bought a surfing course. You mm. don't think that courses help people? No, I don't think so. Sorry. Courses are like Gracie Jiu Jitsu. Amazing. Yeah. Because so people don't know Gracie, uh, Gracie University is a online tutorial and it, I've lived in Las Vegas, California, Brazil, single fastest way I have ever better than going to any gym or teacher I've been to. So I'm so I'm confused when you say courses don't help you. No, 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 I sorry. Found that, that was the, the the YouTube courses that I've seen on the market talk always about how the creator grew. And when I have checked the testimonials, I have not recognized a single person. You know what I mean? Like got it. So you're saying that like anything in life, courses have different quality. Yes. And you haven't found a YouTube, specifically a YouTube mm-hmm. course with an impressive testimonial student. section. Because you would think a yeah. good YouTube course should have students yes. with million subscriber channels. Yes. And that's not what you're saying. Correct. Okay. Tony Robbins, personal power too. The testimonials are bomb. I would happily be one of them. You know, like yeah, yeah. It, this works. This yeah, is great. Because I've actually found, personally, I have found courses and books have changed my life more than uh, high-end coaches, masterminds, or thousand-dollar correct, events. correct. So there, it's possible I, just that there could be. A, I've yeah. spent I've spent thousands on coaching, thousands on uh, personal courses, mm-hmm. thousands on in-person events, and the courses uh, and books have won for me. 
Yes, it is absolutely. And, and this is why, I mean, we have a course. Like, and this is why I want to switch my metric from, you know, sales to uh, average rating of the course. And mm -hmm. I think, like, I think our course is already really good. I so think nine we, out of 10, in case people are curious. <laughs> I think we, I think I can make it better. I said, well, I don't know how I'm going to make it better, but I think attention could, could help. No, I agree. No, no, I was just confused because um, I, you were saying YouTube specific <laughs> courses. I'm saying the ones on the market right now, I, I have not seen impressive testimonials. And then maybe, I'm, maybe I've overlooked one if you're out there and you're in a course. And, and the other thing is, you know, I don't, I don't mean to be um, to judge success with a metric that the person taking the course doesn't have. Like maybe success to them is 50,000 subscribers. You know, we only have a 30,000 subscriber podcast and it's a success to me. So mm -hmm. maybe they're, they're successful in their own book and I don't mean to judge that. But just to say that, I, they often talk about quitting your job and leaving your nine to five. And I struggle to imagine many of the testimonials being at that level, Got it. seeing the size that they're Got at. Got it. No, and I do think there's more, I, I see a lot more shenanigans in business courses than any other courses, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, like there is a guy who is selling a, a book about YouTube and on the cart, it says 100,000 copies sold. Mm -hmm. And in the, in the email, it says, I'm pre-launching this. It's never been sold before. It's like, Whoever did this marketing just didn't care Give which one of these is true. Yeah. Um, okay. No, I'm just curious because like legitimately yesterday, I bought a course about surf fitness yeah, and yeah, how yeah. to stay fit at home. And I watched it and what I watched was very helpful. Cool. So. <laughs> no, you'll, yeah, no, it's uh, depends on the course, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I got something if we want to talk about fitness. Sure. Because we're talking about metrics. If your goal for 2021 is to get in shape, you should check out our sponsor, <laughs> Delta Trainer. So... If they literally had the reason they asked us to do another one. I said, let's do it for New Year's because I think it can help with fitness New Year's resolutions. So for people that don't know what Delta Trainer is, it's the lowest cost personal trainer you can get. It is through an app and your Apple Watch. And so you get every day, however much interaction you want with a trainer and they can help you with personalized workouts and feedback on your workouts because the Apple Watch will track your movements. So it lets you work out knowing you're actually doing something that'll help you reach your goals. And this is just some data that's from their website. But Clients with the goal of fat loss lose an average of 15 pounds in the first six months. Clients with the goal of adding muscle increase chest and bicep size an average of an inch in the first 10 weeks. And it's nice because you can work it around your schedule. You can plan workouts at different lengths of time, depending on how much time you have, what equipment you have. And you can try it for free for the first month if you go to our link, charlieandben.com slash trainer. Yep. So thank you for sponsoring us, Delta Trainer. All that money will go to Justin. Yeah. If you want to try it out, I mean, this is the thing that I try to do with all of our sponsors and our course, which is set up a period of time where it's like, look, if this is for you, this is a great time to find out. So if you want to check it out, it has the first free month. No, it's huge. I mean, we, we, I don't know if people know this, but for all our sponsorships, we don't do a sponsorship unless we try the product ourselves mm -hmm. and we feel like it's something we'd actually recommend to our friends. But what's cool is even if you don't have an Apple watch, you put a deposit down, they'll send you the watch. And if you don't like the program, you just send the watch back. So it's a free, free for a month. Mm -hmm. And if you love it, you keep it. And if you don't, you haven't lost anything. Cool. Um, this is one I said I was going to come back to. Simon Sinek, I saw, had a video on the value of college. And I disagree. I couldn't have disagreed more <laughs> in watching it. And uh, it's, a, you know. I'm guessing he was pro-college? <laughs> yes. Yes. He said that the value of college is living away from home, learning to budget, learning to form an argument, class discussion. Uh, so college is still valuable. And I went, okay, for four years and an average of, let's let's go lowball, $60,000 learning to budget, <laughs> living away from home. Yeah. Like, 
I well, how and that last part about learning to have a discussion. I, I'll talk about it afterwards. But yeah. I'm reading a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. I do not think that colleges are anymore a place where you can learn to sharpen your mind in a steel sharpen steel type way. I think that mm-hmm. there's a lot of frowning upon mm-hmm. debating certain topics. I think that's very likely the case in in many colleges. Even even if it weren't the case. Uh, the fact that college is exempted from the opportunity cost analysis mm-hmm. in so many of its like I've, I've had this discussion. My dad, it, well, yeah, but you wouldn't be where you are. It's like, yes, if you if you deleted the four years of my life from 18 to 22, where yes. I stepped outside of the home, no, you're saying of is, course, I wouldn't be where I was. You're saying if you give me an 18 year old kid, 150 grand and four <laughs> years, I will teach him to budget. <laughs> I will teach him to have debate. Yeah. What were the, what was the other thing? Uh, oh, I'll teach him to live away from home. To live away from home. I, dude, you give me a hundred. <laughs> actually, let's do it with 10 people just so I can get 1.5 million. You give me 10 people, $150,000 Oh, and per then you person. get, you get like, well, now, now they can debate now each other. They, now they so, can, <laughs> dude, I'm going to do this. 10 people. Well, they have unschooling. Each, they have all these things. Now, four years of time, I will teach them the budget, live away from home yeah. and debate. Now, what, what I have said in defense of college, if you're thinking of going, is that it is a very fun social experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's the American college experience. Even when you go abroad, they're like, is it true? Do you guys really drink from the red cups? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's true. <laughs> well, kind of what I wish I'd done is, I don't know if my parents would have gone for it, but just lived on campus, mm-hmm. taking all the money mm-hmm. my parents were going to give me for college and invested it in self-education and starting a business mm-hmm. or multiple businesses. Just be like, listen, I'll be here for four years. I'll party as much as the average student. I won't part. I'm not going to be Van Wilder, but I'll party as much as the average student. And I will. How are you going to get in with them? You think you could do that? Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, there's off camp, there's on-campus housing that's not through it. You would have to. So here's here's the thing what college, I think, does is for it, it does give you a path and it does smooth uh, social relationships. Well, it forces it gives you, you to meet people. It forces you to do homework. But you can also sit in class. You can mm-hmm. order a class. They don't, I mean, at least at my school, they don't swipe your yeah, yeah. student ID when you go to sit in a lecture. You can mm-hmm. audit. Yeah. So I would just sit in class for a mm-hmm. class that I was interested in. I wouldn't get a diploma. Yeah. But I go, oh, okay. There's a venture capitalist who's teaching a finance class. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Just go sit down. And then when people are like, oh, I want to I want to do the homework after it. All right. That's how I'm going to make friends. I, guess. <laughs> I actually think it would be so easy. I've thought about this. Well, it would be easy if you stepped outside of your comfort zone. And again, what are you paying for with college? Like, because because it's totally reasonable to do what you said to network, make friends, uh, self guide. Most 18-year-olds, because of their high school education, are woefully unprepared to do that kind of stuff. Sure. What I could imagine is, and I'm, and I don't know what I would ever do if I had kids, is a homeschooled kid who had been used to having to try to make friends, to be a self-learner, to not just respond to a curriculum. That type of a kid could then move out of home and do that. Yeah. But what you can't, what I think is hard for people to imagine is. I've been on a track my whole life. People have told me where to go, where to stand, what homework to do, when I can sit up, you know, sit up, sit down, stand up, leave at what, you know, and there's a bell for all yeah, of ask it. if I have permission to go to the bathroom. To, I literally ask to go to the bathroom. Yeah. To take that person at age 18 and say, now move out and do everything yourself, it, it's kind of a huge ask. But yeah. Well, no, I mean, to be clear, most people don't ever kick that. They go to college <laughs> and largely do the homework yes. they're assigned. Once they're given a class, they just do what they're told. There's a little bit more autonomy. Then mm-hmm. they go to a job where they largely do what they're told. They get to go to the bathroom without asking. But yeah, yeah. it's it's a, it's a lifetime of mostly not self-directing your time. I mean, you remember I had a few months head start on you and was just not as worried generally. But yeah. you remember when we moved to Brazil. Oh, yeah. We've talked about this on the podcast before. Yeah. I was like, okay, we're going to start a business. Let's make a to-do list. 
this is infinite. There's an infinite <laughs> number of things that you can do to start a business. Yeah. I never know when I'm done. Yeah. I could work 24 hours straight and feel so unaccomplished. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was this, there was a, I had to learn how do I determine if today was a good use of time or not? Yeah. And how do I, how do I self assess that? Without, and it was stressful. Yeah, without grades, without being told you're done, without, you know, go to page 63. Well, most of the time, even with a project, they're like, hey, listen, you, this project's due Friday. So figure it out amongst yourself. Yeah. <laughs> How much do you want to do Monday versus Wednesday? Oh, and by the way, it's but, got a it's got a page expectation. It's, it's You're told what to, yeah, it's to do. It's about 60 hours of work, and mm-hmm. I need to see it Friday at 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. Versus to grow a business successfully, it's about... <laughs> De- a decade, you know, five <laughs> yeah, yeah. years. <laughs> like, so yeah, there's no, there's no sense until you start to learn how to small chunk things. There's no sense of, oh, today was a good day. I can stop working. Yeah. So if I, I never got that feeling for the first three weeks that we were in Brazil. I never was like, oh, today was a good day and I can stop sure. working. If I ever do have kids, I'm, I'm pretty set on homeschool or community school, meaning mm-hmm. like a group of parents getting together to to arrange that but uh you don't have faith in birth control to work <laughs> if i ever choose oh, if oh, i ever it, choose uh that seems to be I, th- I think what's missing from schooling is exactly what we're discussing which is like self-directed education because then people do get to 18 it's been beaten out of them and they don't know how to step outside to try to make a friend without a prescribed social setting in sure. which to do it uh, or how to like learn a topic just starting with the interest in it. Yeah. Like, what do I do if I'm interested? Like, is there a class that someone will tell me like the order of things to learn? Um, so I would want, I would want my kids to have those, those meta skills of self-directed learning and self-directed socializing and all that kind of stuff. Makes sense. So I don't know if we should save this for next week or I should pile on because I don't want the whole podcast to just be poo-poo in college, but I am reading a book that's not anti-college, but it talks about the changing atmosphere in American colleges. Do you want to talk about it now or just wait another week? So this is just Jonathan Haidt? It's called The Coddling of the American Mind. How good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. So you Mm -hmm. want to talk about it now? Go for it. Okay. So basically, this is written by a couple professors. One is a cognitive behavior therapist. They're they're both in the, you know, psychology, mental health, happiness. It's the guy, actually, a podcast comment recommended The Happiness Hypothesis. Mm -hmm. And this is the same author. So thank you for whoever made that comment. Basically, the high-level thesis is that three terrible ideas have become woven into American childhood and education, K through 12 and college, and they are setting up society to be worse and individuals to be less happy. So the three ideas that they think have permeated through American culture are what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. So instead of thinking that hardships are good for you, we've come to think that hardships are to be avoided. So mm-hmm. if someone says something that upsets me, they should not be allowed to say it. I have to be shielded. I need a safe space. You know what I mean? They talk about peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, they talk about how, so for instance, kids might have a peanut allergy. So certain private schools ban peanuts. Hmm. It turns out that if kids aren't around it's peanuts, they all get peanut they allergies. They get a lot more, like they're, you're five times more likely to get a peanut allergy mm-hmm. if you're not exposed to peanuts. Mm-hmm. And so, And they say this is rearing its head from birth through college, people are are treating American kids and young adults like they're fragile. And so they try to shield them from anything that could be harmful or upsetting, including words, thoughts, ideas. And then those kids rightfully think that they're fragile because they're being raised that they're fragile. And so then when they are hit with something that they find upsetting, they demand 
that something protect them. The institution of the college, the government, mm-hmm. they, they say my whole life I've been insulated and that's what I was taught was good. And now I'm not being insulated. So this is a failure of the system. It's not up to me to toughen up yeah, or yeah. learn how to debate or get comfortable hearing an idea I disagree with without it triggering me. You know yeah. what I mean? So that's the first thing. The second thing goes hand in hand with it, which is basically always trust your feelings. So there's this sense now that if someone says something and it upsets you, mm. it was offensive. It was harmful. So you're removing intent. You're removing confusion. You know what I'm saying? You, you're getting to the sense where if it is upsetting to you, then it was upsetting. It was an upsetting act. And so people are starting to be told and to believe that whatever they feel is the truth. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And the third thing is, and we talked about this on the podcast, life is a battle between good people and evil people. Mm. So there's this, there, well, this wasn't always the case that you would think that someone who disagreed with you politically was a monster. You know what I mean? But I don't, I, well, you know, I don't know if about these halcyon times. I wasn't there. So it's tough for me. I, I think it's very easy to look back and go, oh, there were these wonderful days of, of unification. Well, I think here's why. I, I think it was harder to be, and maybe I'm wrong. I think it was harder to be insulated into an echo chamber. I think it was harder to like select your news and select your social media. You know, I think if you take a large enough view of this one, like we did have a civil war, (laughs) like that was insulated. Oh yeah, no, these people are comparing to the 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe. Yes. Like okay. Yes, they're comparing the 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 post war post war America to today. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is not about all of human history. Got it. This is like specifically the last 30 years Mm -hmm. compared to the probably 30 years. Like a jet. Yeah, one generation to the next. I, I think I get it. Yeah. Uh, and so that's it. They're just saying that these are widely accepted and they go against what you would want for someone's psyche, basically. I mean, mm-hmm. cognitive behavior therapy, which we're both fans of, is all about noticing your cognitive distortions and then recognizing that they're distortions and learning to lower the amount that you're emotionally triggered by something, right? Mm-hmm. That's So you think that because a girl said no to you, that that means that you're unlovable. And if you're unlovable, you'll be alone forever. And if you'll be alone forever, you'll be depressed forever. And then you go through and you figure out what what the flaw is in each step, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the opposite of that. When you're told that words can harm you and that that harm can be devastating and traumatic to you to hear someone say something you disagree with, then you're basically getting a cognitive distortion. You're yeah. like being incepted to think that that's the case. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So it's ba- it's not just that it's bad for sight. That your intern, that yes, that for- your internal experience is the definitive experience. Yes, cognitive behavior therapy is all about saying that your initial feeling, your initial reaction to something may not be true. Mm-hmm. And then what that does is it's really helpful in helping people not be depressed and not be anxious. And so the, these professors are basically like, why is anxiety and depression skyrocketing mm-hmm. on university? It's because people are being taught the opposite tools of cognitive behavior therapy, which is... Yeah, if you have that big feeling of being triggered, like something caused that, you should run with that. You mm. should you should assume that you're correct. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a it's an interesting question because you, there's there's two poles, and and I don't think the answer is on either one of them. On the one hand, you need to protect vulnerable people and creatures from life, which is to say, like when there's a child and it's crying and it's in pain you need to scoop it up and like pull the thorn out of its foot and and create a bubble of safety yeah if your kid's born 
with uh, yeah. some sort of weird life threatening thing, I think you keep it. You keep your kid in the ICU for, yeah, yeah. for a week. Well, you, that, know, you don't, and you then don't bring it out. And here's another fascinating one. So I was a C-section baby. I didn't want to come out. I was chilling, right? So I was removed and saved my life, probably saved my mom's life. But because I wasn't a natural birth, I didn't get the bacteria and the floor of the fauna and I was in a hospital room. So I was a, then afterwards a very sick baby, ear infections, tonsil infections, like constant. So I, I guess it's not even clear that it's an age thing. It's not like, oh, like protect infants and then when they're seven, like stop protecting them. It's like you need degrees of stress that are going to be, I mean, is there anything more traumatizing than being birthed? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like having your tiny little brain and head squeezed. Uh, it, like they come out screaming for a reason because it's awful, I'm pretty sure. And, but ultimately good for you, mm -hmm. you know, because the things that you take with it make you more resilient to a world that is not as safe and comforting as the womb. So, it's it's unclear. It's not an age thing. It's we, I've mentioned my brother before being given the credit card when we lived abroad in Brazil and how that made him soft. While the rest of us developed our businesses, he kind of didn't really. And it was only when it was it was only when he had to get a crappy job in Las Vegas, picking up cups, paying for himself. It took him an extra year and a half compared to the rest of us because he had that. But if he didn't have the funding to go to Brazil with us, he would have stayed in his fourth and a half year getting mediocre grades, you know, in sure. in Temple University. So it's it's an unclear balancing act to me of like the stresses that people need at various points of their experience and life. Uh, and I guess I agree with the authors that it sounds like we've tilted too far in the direction of bubbles. Well, my and my thing is this can even be you can even say this isn't just this generation. You could probably find anecdotes of it throughout recent American history. But if I think if if you find yourself triggered by words, which is to say someone says something and it elevates your heart rate and it gets mm -hmm. you into fight or flight, I think that's a pretty good sign that something is occurring beyond uh, words. Yeah, just words. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like you, you feel literally threatened because I think even if someone vehemently disagrees with you it should be possible and i'm guilty of this i, I think i'm not better than other people but it should be possible to just hear the disagreement digest it and then still disagree with it and say your disagreement mm -hmm. but without that adrenaline spike or sweating or handshaking so i think if you're in a conversation and you start to have that same reaction that mm -hmm. one would have when they're in a physical fight or when they're actually physically threatened that to, uh, to me i was like oh this is a good sign that something is happening beyond just processing what's actually occurring, which is someone's making sounds that you're they're mm -hmm. entering your ears. sure. And presuming, and I'm just I know that you meant this that they're not threatening you, and being like I'm going to stab you now. Like they're they're sure, they're, sure. they're saying they're they're having a, a disagreement on a on a political topic. Or no, something but I'm like guilty that. of this too. I've, you just see it. You see when people disagree, voices get raised. Yeah, the it stops being a conversation. It's either shouting or yeah, you see people's adrenaline spike. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to describe it. And and. As I was reading this, I just realized, oh yeah, this doesn't have to be the reaction to someone saying something that you don't agree with. Mm -hmm. It can actually just be you going, oh, well, I disagree. Here's why. Yeah. And so that I was like, okay, this is a pretty good argument for me to monitor in myself anytime I get triggered to one, calm down, and then two, try to figure out why and how to prevent it. Because well, it actually even makes the conversation, it's it's worse for you. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it's just a self. Well, this has been this has been a and we talked earlier about building ourselves a bubble from comments, you know, 
and and I'm not sure that it's the right thing to do, but the alternate strategy is to read all of mm-hmm. the most vitriolic comments, to watch that reaction arise in you, to stay awake kicking them around in your mind and disagreeing and saying why they, and eventually break through to the point of inoculation against that. And uh, there's this constant tension in life because the generation before us would be like, look, anyone, well, not before us, I guess the World War II generation, if you haven't had a mortar explode behind you, like there's no reason to be financially scared. There's no reason to be scared when somebody says they're going to punch you. You know, like there's there's degrees of this in life. Uh, And it's it's a constant question of when do I want to bubble up and and protect myself from this? And when do I want to lean into it and try to find out if I can become immune to this particular stressor? Yeah. Well, my I mean, this again, this isn't the perfect answer, but this is just my answer today, Jan 1, 2021, is I'm trying to, in general, pull into my actual reality, Mm -hmm. which is to say I'm trying to get away from social media, trying to get away from the news, which I've decided is just an outrage machine Mm -hmm. and not a informative machine. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get away from comments. And what I'm trying to do is pull into who's around me. And so when I'm having a a discussion face to face, I think it's super important not to shut down, yeah, yeah. scream at them, or run away just because they say something I don't agree with. I actually think that's the time to sit down, work on being calm, and work on the discussion. Be open-minded to the fact that I might be wrong. I think that's that's the, the area for growth, and that's yep. the area for focus. But for me, uh, in general, I'm, I question if the juice is worth the squeeze on all the stuff that is virtually external, yeah. if that makes sense. Fox I, I News, CNN, social media comments from these from people who I can't interact with real time. I, I even tried. I went back and forth with this one person in the comments. They were thoughtful and polite. I tried to be thoughtful and polite. We just didn't get anywhere because mm-hmm. we're just doing this in chunks of text. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I've come to is is I think it's I'm trying to just pull back to the reality that's in eyesight. Basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that is very wise. And I think um the, the extreme version of that is what you get on psychedelics, which is like you just go totally internal. Mm. You know, it's even even the people around you. If you're if you've done enough of them, start to fade away, and you, and you're left with just what's going on inside of you, almost absent stimulus, and you realize, oh God, there's still like <laughs> pockets of disturbance here. You know, like yeah. this is what's getting triggered when somebody is says that they disagree with me religiously or or politically, and I can address that without even needing that that argument that was not really bothering me. It's like, ah, oh, man, I've always kind of felt like I was going to get kicked out if I had the wrong opinion yeah, yeah. about about something. And like, you can you can address that there. Um, no, and I know the counter argument, which is that if you don't watch the news, if you don't plug into social media, if you don't do this, you won't be informed. But I've come to believe that that doesn't help you be informed. I yeah, think yeah. that most people would agree, my news is good, but the other side's news, Fox News or CNN, that's garbage. That's just propaganda. Oh, dude, it's, I got I got mis- to do a big argument. With my misinformation. Dad <laughs> and my thing is, I don't disagree that theirs is misinformation, but how could you possibly know that yours isn't? Mm-hmm. Because they're saying the exact same thing. And so I've just come to the conclusion this has I have to assume this is all misinformation because I have no reason to trust one over the other. Mm-hmm. They can't both be true because they're contradicting each other. This is not a useful way to inform myself. So that's because no I've had people say, oh, how could you? You're not informed. I go, you're not informed. You're just, you're just brainwashed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just think something's true because someone on TV said so it. So I, I had this with my dad two days ago. We, we all had, got together after Christmas. Um, 
And I mean, my God, you just described the argument. But what was fascinating is what he went to, was, which to him was like the, oh, yeah, well, we can't do this. He said, so what are we supposed to do? Only believe the things that we see with our own eyes? And I was like, that's a, well, first off, what are we supposed to do is exactly the right question. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know the answer, but like. But I'm suggesting that it's tune out from the news. So now the question is, what do we do next? Well, it's like, I actually think that there's, it's, this is what Descartes did. And I don't think he got it right. But he said, like, I'm going to pull all the way back to like, what do I know? And to him, it was, I think, therefore I am. People mm-hmm. would disagree with that, split the body and the mind, all this kind of stuff. But I think what's interesting is like, instead of, instead of saying, oh no, the news is here and I have to like keep this frontier. Like I cannot, I cannot mentally concede the territory that I need to know what's happening in this world, this Mm -hmm. giant sphere of 8 billion people. Like I need to pretend Mm -hmm. that I have some understanding of it. Instead go, I'm going to fall all the way back to first principles. What do I know? And I'm going to rebuild it brick by brick. And I don't know where I will wind up, how how far the bricks will actually stack up, you know, but I think it's, to me, that's the right approach is instead of like going, I can't give that up because then how am I going to interact with the world? Like I need to is just go, this is this could all be a simulation. Let's just start there. Yeah, yeah. Am I sure? that <laughs> Unless you're going to try to take significant action, unless mm-hmm. you're going to do more than just be upset or talk to the people around you, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Then then go out and gather information. Well, even then, then you can wind up with Adolf Hitler's very easily, which are sure that the Jews are bad, which mm-hmm. are sure that they're ready to take significant action, and they know that they need to wipe them off the face of the earth or else bad things will happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, we, was that just a Patreon question last week? We had a question last week, which was how do you, like, or is it better to just go full steam at something without, you even know, if you're not if sure, even if, if you're not sure if, if it's, it's good the right or bad. thing yeah, to yeah. do? Because then you'll accomplish more. Yeah. And we we said no, because you want to accomplish. But also, I, I, you know, now that I hear that question again, I can understand where it comes from. Because some people will be like, I don't know if I have the right business idea. Like, is this the one? And they wind up dithering in that regard. And if someone well, wants to frame the question. question how much harm would be caused if you were wrong? Well, So I think a good business idea is watch bands. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, how much harm will be caused if I'm wrong? I'll well, lose money. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that the Jews are causing all the problems <laughs> in the world. I'm going to try to exterminate all the Jews. Okay, well, what would happen if I was wrong? Hmm. I would be killing millions of people for no reason. Okay, it seems worse. So maybe mm-hmm. let's make sure we get that one right. Mm-hmm. So I think you can t- I think you can kind of vary your stop and go based mm-hmm. on what happens if you're wrong. Yes. And I and I think that there's different times in your day for different levels of introspection. Like I'm not constantly rebuilding the world from square one mm-hmm. in my daily interactions. I do that. I lay in my bed Maybe I'm microdosing. Maybe I'm just doing deep breaths. And that's when I go back to my internal experience. But when I'm operating in the world, I am at some frontier of, there, I have this business. There are people out there. They're taking my course. I can trust the scores that they're giving me mm-hmm. on it. Like I, I uh, assume those things that we generally assume to be true about our experience to be true mm-hmm. without building them up, uh, building it up from a first experience. Oh yeah, I'm principle. not actually, I mean, personally, I'm not actually pulling necessarily back into just the only thing I know is my body and this could be a simulation, even though I actually believe we might be in a simulation. I'm specifically pulling away from the news and social media and forums. Got it. So you're going, if, if this is the center, you're going to like here. Yeah. Got it. Oh, dude, I was, I mean, at one point I was just, I, I like to talk shit, uh, shit about sports. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I was in, in sports forums and then I was making, you know, people would write comments and then I would write comments. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? I'm, ar- I'm arguing about if Ben Simmons is better than James Harden with a stranger. This trade will either happen or it won't. This conversation will have no <laughs> impact. You know what I mean? It's not like we get to vote 
It's not like if I can convince this guy that we should do yeah. the trade, then all of a sudden the trade will happen. I was like, this is a complete waste of time. I'm going to debate with a stranger. We're both going to get frustrated. Yeah. We're not going to influence the outcome. And then James Harden's going to get traded to the Nets. What a waste of time. <laughs> so it's that kind of stuff that I'm pulling back from. Yeah. Yeah. But you'll still have that conversation with a friend because... Over lunch. Because it forms a real bond with a person. Uh -huh. Even if we don't change our mind, there's just something built there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I would even potentially have that conversation on a headset with a friend that I, if I had a video game friend, you yeah. know what I mean? But yeah, if it's not if it's not building to a relationship that's going to be ongoing, I don't need to have this conversation with this person. I, by the way, I have no idea how much they know about basketball, what their IQ is, mm -hmm. if they follow the Sixers. You know what I mean? Like I could be talking to the coach of the 76ers. <laughs> I could be talking to a seven-year-old. What, like, what am I doing? You know what I'm saying? I'm just debating a stranger. I have no idea why I should value their opinion. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was like, all right, I'm out of here. I'm out of the comments. I'm out of... Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Yeah. One of the things that I am not there, I don't even know that I could say that I've worked on effectively, but is... uh. What, what would free me from that, and I think would free you, is is like dropping the desire to be right. Mm -hmm. As soon as you, because uh, I see this uh, girl that I'm dating, who you know, whose name I will not say. <laughs> but it rhymes with. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to do that on air. Um, one of the things that I think is a, a blessing that she has received or cultivated, I don't know, is that she does not need to be right. Yeah, yeah. And it means that she can freely be wrong. <laughs> like yeah. she can move through the world and be proven wrong and just move on with her day mm. and like not kick it over in her head. And and so it has predictable 
effects in both of us. One, my arguments are sharp because every time I get cut down, I go home and I like, yeah, yeah. Like, like I, I seethe over it and I build and I get a sharper argument or I switch sides. I was and say, yeah, or if you can't figure out I how switch, to beat the argument, you just exactly. go, that's my argument now. So like I, I know a lot of things yeah. because I've thought deeply about them and I've lost sleep over it. And she hasn't, you know what I mean? Like yeah. not to the same degree. Uh, similarly, like she can just lose and suck at things and it doesn't, well, I think doesn't need to improve. She doesn't need to fix it. She could just suck at Super Smash Bros and like not try to learn a combo to win. And instead, I have to like work on my short airs to like make sure that that doesn't happen. Again. I think that it's because of what each of you thinks you bring to the table. Yeah. So because I was just talking to some guy today. Uh, he's a friend of mine. He's incredibly wealthy. And he was talking about how he doesn't know how to balance how much money to give. He doesn't want to be used for his money. He mm -hmm. said at one point he just get, he was in a serious relationship with a girl. He just gave her like a hundred grand. So he's like, now I know you're not with me for my money. Yeah. I was like, you're insane, dude. You're you should insane. just, you should just <laughs> not start by going on helicopter rides to thousand dollar dinners. Just yeah, yeah. never make your money what's attractive to you. Like yeah. don't bring that to the table. And I think for you, something you think you bring to the table as a friend, as a influencer, as a boyfriend is being intelligent, mm -hmm. being thoughtful, having good ideas and being good at knowing what's right. Basically, I think you think those are your attributes. Yes. She has other things that she thinks, that she thinks are probably mm -hmm. being nurturing or making you happy or whatever it might be where if you if she were to give you a massage and you were critical, she might be devastated. Mm -hmm. and if you were to give her a massage, she's like, this isn't good. You're like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't lose any sleep over sure. it because you don't think that's what you bring to the table. Mm -hmm. So I, I would guess that that's probably where that difference comes from. She doesn't mind being wrong because she doesn't think never being wrong is why people like her. Yes. She doesn't think that it's important for her to collect love. Mm -hmm. And and I think to some extent, maybe because of your relationship with your dad and how you guys used to argue, some somewhere it, it's important that you be right because it sure. determines your value or your ability to get love or something. You know well, what I'm saying? Well, there is a, um, this is something I, I, when I do go to these MDMA experiences that I have and I sit there, um, the the woman that I work with questions the idea that do you need to bring something to the table? And I've never gotten past that. I was like, of course, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how does one show up mm. without bringing anything to the table? I hate people who don't bring anything <laughs> to the table. I hate them. Yeah. And that's occurring inside of me. Like I would, you know, like I sure. have to bring something. Now to be clear, when there's a party or a potluck, I don't cook, I don't clean, I don't do any of that. Like I, what I bring is, as you described, the things that I talk about bringing. Yeah. Um, I'll usually, you know, some, something, but uh, it's it's an interesting question, which is the evolution of you're born this baby that that technically brings nothing to the table, mm -hmm. you know, and you're and you're cared for. At some point, you're socialized that you need to help, you need to contribute in order in order to stay at the table, which I think is an important phase. And if you skip that phase, you wind up with crappy 18 year olds and adults. Yeah, yeah. But then it does seem like at some point that there's another level which I haven't gotten to. That's beyond that. And I, I don't even know what it would be, but it would Why be- Why is it bad to, to bring something to the table? To rest in your acceptance, I think is what it is what is difficult. Is that my- Would that analogy be more similar to not coming to the table? No, to know that you do not have to work to be not kicked out, I think is is part of it. Or to be to be welcome there too. And, and by the way, like what you could bring is the same thing that technically children bring which is a smile 
uh, you know, kindness. And I don't know. It's, okay, so you are bringing something. You're just not bringing it on purpose. You're not working for it and you're not fearful. And this is the other thing. Kids, I'm not saying that, that an adult can behave like an infant, but there are instructive analogies. Like kids are not fearful or infants that if they cry, they're done. You oh, know, like- I'm just thinking, let's say we went out to dinner. Me, you, Justin, and, sure. and my friend, Steve-O. Just making a name of mm-hmm. someone I don't, I don't have a friend named Steve-O, right? And Steve-O doesn't say a word. Mm-hmm. And he pays for his own food and not a dollar extra, mm-hmm. and then he leaves. You ever gonna want Steve-O to come? You well, ever this gonna be is, like, this oh, is, dude, we should have that guy come to dinner. This is exactly where my brain goes. I go, I'm not, I don't want that person. Now, that's why I say, I don't know what the next level is, but I sense. Well, I think if you bring joy, like, I, I mean, <laughs> I imagine that the reason people love their kids, other than the fact that they're programmed to, despite the fact that they poop themselves and scream all the time, is that there's something that makes them feel good. Even if the kid doesn't bring, like there's some weird brain chemistry thing that occurs where a kid smiles and you get a dopamine dump. Mm-hmm. Steve-O sat there quietly, but when he looked at you while you spoke, you felt like the most important person in the world and you felt truly heard and accepted. You might be like, yo, I'm gonna only go out with him. <laughs> sure, so I think there's two things that you're saying. I think I think joy can be one. We, we have a friend, maybe you'll know who I'm talking about, who is like, always positive, oh, yeah. always this, and it can become uh, a mask to feel like you always have to bring that, you know, and and all of a sudden that suffers the well, same no, problem as everything else. I'm not saying. But but the second thing you said was presence, was was what it seems like, um, what was that guy's name in the wild country, Osho brought, was just this, like the, the Bill Clinton thing. my dog brings. My yeah. dog is such a pain in the butt. I have to feed yeah. her, I have to yeah. walk her, I pick up her poop, but she just comes in and does mm-hmm. something on accident and it makes me happy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that, So she's, not trying to bring anything to the table, but she does bring more to the table. If she were just yes. a robot that pooped, cried for walks, and sat next to me, mm-hmm. I would probably throw the robot out. You know what I'm saying? So she does accidentally bring something mm-hmm. positive. Yeah. Like a Tamagotchi that was that stressful would not be worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. And so this is what I haven't gotten through to. But yes, that, are, that there is this sense that and it needs to be married, of course. Like this is, as you get into these spiritual concepts, it's neither one nor the other. And it's it's sitting in paradox of, yes, I'm still doing, but I'm grounded in being while I am doing. I don't, I don't get any of it. <laughs> but I, I think it's something around that, which is, bring, yeah, is, is resting in your presence being enough. Yeah. Uh, which, and I don't know uh, that I've experienced that. I've been encouraged to. I always come back to, motherfucker better say something or else I'm not <laughs> inviting him. <laughs> and that's how I feel about myself. Uh, so yeah, next, maybe next MDMA breakthrough. I'll, I'll <laughs> know more about it, but I don't know how we got there. Do you have anything else? Yeah, none of it's time sensitive though. Do you guys want to go to comments or you want to keep rolling? We can keep going. I mean, okay. So I thought this was interesting that Joe Rogan had someone who's a proponent of meat eating and someone who I believe was involved in the Game Changers Doc. documentary, which is pretty strongly vegan, even though they don't say it is. Yeah. And they had a discussion that I watched. It's pretty interesting. I thought it was interesting for two reasons. One, the Game Changers guy, to to his credit, does address something that has been a fear of mine and has prevented me from going fully vegan, which is the idea that you can't get enough protein. So, you know, I'll try to do what I can. I'll drink bone broth that's from bones and I'll (laughs) try to, you know, only have salmon. But I want at the end of the day to not atrophy. And so it prevents me from going vegan. He does a decent presentation of, of how you overestimate how much protein you need even to gain muscle and that you can get that amount from vegetables. So I mm-hmm. thought that was interesting. The second thing that I realized from watching this is we have no idea 
what the best way to operate a human body, yeah. which is fascinating to me. Absolutely fascinating. We we have we have landed on the moon. We can launch a rocket and land it on its own pad now, but we do not understand. There are people who advocate for the vegan diet, not because it's moral, but because it is just better. Chris Paul has gone plant-based and he says he's never, never felt, better, felt yeah. healthier. And it is why he's amazing at age 35. And then there's people on the carnivore diet mm -hmm. who say that plant toxicity is a huge problem. And the best thing you can do is just eat high quality beef and mm -hmm. nothing else. And they're both convinced they're right. Mm -hmm. They both have scientific studies to show that they're right. They both have anecdotes of clients from autoimmune diseases that cured themselves by being vegan yeah. or being carnivore. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And we have no idea yeah. how to operate our own bodies in the best way possible. And I just thought that was fascinating. It's funny. It's like if every rocket that was shot into space just operated differently, burned different amounts of fuel, yep. so that every time one was going up, it was like a complete question. And that's what it is. I think the the reason is that the rockets are standardized. They're the same. You, the, to a large degree, you put a rocket in the air with the same amount of fuel. It's going to land in the same spot. Sure. Uh, you put the same things into your body as my body, as Justin's body, you will get different outcomes. Mm -hmm. Jordan Peterson eating my diet would be deathly ill because he needs the carnivore diet. Someone else, a vegan who needs to eat plants would die on his diet. Uh, but we don't even have the ability. I would be I would, I would be completely understanding of that if there was a blood work test you could do. Yeah, yeah. Plus, a, let's say, listen, they can, they can do a blood work test, a DNA test. Yeah. You know, do you know what I mean? And just go, okay, Based on your blood type and your genes, ba, 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 ba. you yep. should be on a 10% meat mm -hmm. diet. You should be completely vegan. You should be carnivore. We got this down to a science. Even though it's different per person, we know what to look for. But we're not even close to that. You know what I mean? Which is just so fascinating. It's The human body is shockingly complicated considering mm -hmm. how much we take it for granted when we're sitting across from it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the fact that to a degree, you can trust your feeling, but it's not fast enough it's not like you yeah. put the food in your mouth and you get it one of the things that jordan peterson i think mentioned about his daughter michaela was that her symptoms when she ate food that would trigger her lasted for 30 days mm. so imagine trying to track something with a 30-day lead time and you're for doing sure. experiments you're just not going to get there and so knowing what is good for you based on feeling yeah. with a variable time window is nearly impossible, <laughs> right? Yeah. So like, and I guess that's why they do these removal diets where you remove one thing at a time and then wait. But even then it's it's very difficult. So this is actually something that I've been, yeah, thinking about is I'm sure that I could feel better if I ate differently. I just don't know where to begin. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, no yeah. idea. No, it's, it's fascinating. Even in the most extreme example of, let's say I'm just eating a supersized Snickers bar. I don't feel sick when I'm eating it. Feel like I got a little bit of buzz from the sugar. Mm -hmm. It digests really easily because it's all simple carbs. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I'm not going to feel bad till hours later or the next day. Mm -hmm. And if I do it one off, I'm probably fine too. It's only if I make it a recurring yeah, part yeah, of my yeah. diet. Well, now I've eaten one a day for a month. I've started to feel more sluggish than I did a month ago, mm -hmm. but it wasn't the day after I ate the first Snickers bar. So it's it's even with the things that we quote unquote know are bad for us, the feedback loop is such that it's like, well, I know science says this. I don't. Yeah, me, I don't know it. Yeah. I'm not convinced. You know what I mean? No, sure. the Snickers bar is bad for me. All Seems the, fine. I mean, I don't need to pile on. The, somebody had asked last time what book, what is about cancer. It was called Anti-Cancer. Anti-Cancer. Um, even with the anti-cancer stuff, you could go on it for six months and you don't feel healthier. It's just like, <laughs> this is a 50-year plan to yeah. not get cancer. Yeah. It has no, I mean, you know, drinking green tea and having what is the, um, what is the spice that we throw on everything Tumor. now? 
turmeric and, and black pepper. You know, it's not it blueberries. Blueberries have tons of antioxidants. Yeah, yeah. I feel exactly the same as if I were just snorting a pixie stick. Yeah. As far as like that day, because yeah. I'm just getting sugar. Yes. They're both sugar. So someone's going to come at me and say blueberries have fiber, but I'm being facetious. But no, you don't. You can't tell that something's anti-inflammatory in the moment you're eating it. Sure. So what was the other thing that you had gotten from the doc or from the conversation about it? You said, oh, well, the one thing I was saying is I'm going to I am going to switch into like a lentil bone broth soup for one of the meals that I used to have. So I'm going to try to have only one piece of salmon and then besides that be vegetarian for the rest of the day because the guy did chicken. a pretty good job of convincing me that uh, it's not detrimental. What compelled you? Was it the health? Well, is is there an ethical reason at all or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the goal. So the goal has. Well, so two things. The goal has always been. Since we moved to California, we had that conversation about 12 years a slave. I won't rehash <laughs> it, but I was like, okay, I'm going to try to minimize my the amount of uh, animals that I eat, and I'm going to go by sentience. You know what I mean? So stopped yeah. octopus completely, still eat salmon. Scallops are the best because I don't think they even have a brain. <laughs> so it's like, okay, there's an ethical component to yeah. it. And then I also am a little bit curious because I have seen Chris Paul is playing out of his mind, and he should have to retire because he's old, but yeah. he is crushing it. And Tom Brady... Is is he plant based? Middle aged. <laughs> is he is he still playing well? Plant based. Oh yeah, he's plant based. Oh jeez, I didn't know that. Uh, he eats. A, I think he eats some meat during the season at some point because he's just to recover. Professional yeah. football and getting he needs hit. The, all but the time. yeah, he yeah. Hit, he's very much focused on uh, inflammation in his diet and largely plants. Can I? Does it seem? And this is God. Diet stuff gets you. Everybody is different. Mm -hmm. Studies. It seems like plant based is best for longevity, mm -hmm. and where meat might come in is like extreme spiking growth performance bodybuilding yeah, stuff. Gonna, someone's going to push back on this and say, "No, there is a vegan bodybuilder," and I totally get it. Yeah. But when Arnold Schwarzenegger was Mr. <laughs> Universe nine thousand times in a row, he was eating a cow a day. Yeah. You know what I mean? And. I think it helps. I think mm -hmm. getting the the hormones from the red meat and this and that. Certainly, if my goal was to get as much muscle as possible as quickly as possible, mm. it would my diet and ethics were thrown out. My diet would be largely grass fed beef yeah. with just enough carbs to basically transport the protein to the muscles. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm 33. Mostly I want to surf. After that, I kind of want to stretch. After that, I'll go lift legs. I'm yeah. not trying to be the biggest. I've lost seven pounds during COVID and I thought it was awesome because mm -hmm. I have had the the muscle. It's like hard to change your body. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, so for me, just based on where I am, which is I want to mostly feel good, have high energy, be healthy and be athletic. I want to play basketball and surf well. I think that plant-based gotcha. plant makes a lot of sense. And what was the other? Was there anything else from the doc? No, that's it. Just one that I you need less protein and you can get it from vegetables. And two, it's absolutely fascinating to me that we have no, I could be wrong. It could be carnivore. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like we have absolutely no idea what's best if you want to live a long, healthy life where you don't get cancer, you don't get heart disease, you function well, you wake up with energy, your back's not yeah, sore. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But we know the diet is, is extremely important. Yes, it's extremely <laughs> important. And depending on who you follow, there's a ton of science to tell you to do completely different things. Yeah, and yeah. I just thought that was interesting because these people are debating and they're both 100% sure of the science that supports them. And they're completely unconvinced by the science that supports the other person. And I came away saying, well, I don't know who's right. But it's just fascinating that you guys also don't know who's right, yeah, yeah. given how much you want to get this correct. Mm. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Do you want to do questions or do you have other stuff? Sure. We can do questions. Or if you have other stuff. 
Nah, we'll save it. Okay, cool. Nice. First one is, I am 33 years old and dream about having a family. Great age. I've met and dated interesting women over the last years, but I have split with them all as I have never felt that I would do anything and more to be with them. Being aware of the fact that my standards are very high and having a very idealistic picture of ultimate love, I fear that I might end up alone. Would you eventually settle for someone you have good vibes with and stop searching for the perfect one, your ultimate soulmate? Thank you a lot for your input. I really love the podcast. Cool. How old was this person? 33. 33. 33. 33-year-old 33 male? Yep. Got it. Um, so I think what I heard, I the soulmate thing, the perfect one, I do think that that's going to be challenging because I think that those are romantic notions put in your head in order to get you to buy a diamond <laughs> that probably don't often correspond to the actual experience of marriage and love. Yeah. So I don't think it's wrong to have high standards, but when I hear perfect, mm. I go, this is potentially a problem. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, Tim, Tim Mitchum is a comedian with, he, he sings songs and he has a song called, uh, If I Hadn't Met You. Mm-hmm. And the the chorus is, if I hadn't met you, I would have met somebody else because <laughs> I believe in match. Yeah. And he just talks about 7 billion people, this and that. So yeah, I, I don't, I think there can be amazing loves in the world that last till they die and are largely positive for both people, although there will be ups and downs. But I don't, that, even that I'm not convinced is because they were your only one and they were perfect for you. And I think it's because they found someone that was a good match and they both worked on the relationship and they worked on it in the same way mm-hmm. and they fight in the same way so they don't hate each other when they fight. Um, so yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think having standards is awesome. I would get clear on what's important to you mm-hmm. and I would get clear on what's not important to you yeah, so, so that you can accept someone who's not quote unquote perfect because they're failing in areas that don't actually impact if they make you happy mm-hmm. or are a good partner. So this is uh, important to you. Who is you? This is this is when I hear people that have these standards. We had a buddy that said that she had to be Ivy League educated, which to me is a dead ringer for that's not your, that's not that's someone else's mm-hmm. requirement. That's your mother or your father talking that you need well, to. Yeah, because your requirement's not even intelligent. Intelligent. Intelligent, I think, is a totally fine requirement. Mm-hmm. But pedigree. There's is, so many <laughs> intelligent people that didn't go to Ivy League schools because mm-hmm. that what that to me communicated is I need to quickly be able to tell someone that this person is acceptably smart. You know, not not sure. that they are smart, but sure. they, they need to. Yeah, versus if you had this weird thing where shallow how you think that she's beautiful and when you talk mm-hmm. to her, she's smart and she makes good money if that's important to you. But the yeah. whole world thinks that she's a moronic a dud. <laughs> yeah. uh, trash bag. Yeah. Is that going to bother you or not? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So so try to, try to get to the shallow how experience where I wouldn't advise this to everyone because to the person who falls in love right away, I was like, listen to your friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But to yeah, you, yeah. who I, who no, I yeah, suspect. This is very specific only to this, <laughs> this person. This is just to you. This is not for the person that falls in love <laughs> yes. every time they kiss someone. To you, I would recommend try to try to come back to concrete experiences of what brings you joy, what makes you connect with mm-hmm. people, and perhaps list them out. And I think what you'll find is that it's um, it's your list. Like you'll know it that it's yours because it's got random things that that are yours. Mm-hmm. Um, so try to make that list just to get it in front of you and and it, mostly to ask questions of it, is this mine? And to remove the ones that are not. Yeah. And then <laughs> I still think it's important to recognize you will 
potentially miss on some of the things lower on the list. Yes. You know what I mean? You're going to write down if you if, I mean, if your list is three things, get all three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but if your list is 15 things and you meet someone and they're missing three of the 15, mm-hmm. that still might be a totally fine person to be with. Well, you also might want to read that book. Um, who wrote it? That people uh, have are awful at predicting the things that they will like in their partners and that mm. they need in their partners. I forget who he's he wrote. He he has done a lot of interviews with people on marriages. I don't know his name. I believe he's a doctor. Just search some of the words that I'm saying. Guy who does a ton of interviews with people. Uh, <laughs> Are you talking about the guy that that predicts divorces? He predicts divorces. So that's the best way to find him. Google, yeah. Google someone. Google person who predicts divorces based on seven minute. Yeah, and video. one of the big ones is that uh, he looks for signs of contempt. Mm-hmm. So when people disagree, he doesn't. He looks for like I fucking hate you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like uh, micro expressions and macro expressions. So anyway, he's got an interesting book on what actually makes people worth. Now to your question, I think clean up your standards to the degree that you can, but be serious with the ones that you have. You're 33 years old. George Clooney got married at age 50, has two yeah. twins that he talks about in every interview, and he's married to somebody, some apparently brilliant woman. I don't know much about her. Um, you do not need to be in a rush if you're taking care of yourself and you're on your shit and you're contributing and you're trying to become yeah. a better person. You're you 33, are, you're not short on time. You are, by the way, only going to become more attractive if you're doing all of those things. If you take care of yourself. If you're taking care of yourself, if you're doing all of those sorts of things, you will find it easier to meet and attract Yeah, that's been surprising to me. When I was 25 years old, I was convinced that 25 to 28 was the most attractive age range for a guy. Mm -hmm. It's just, I was absolutely certain of it. And now having lived through it, it doesn't appear. No. I feel like 33 is still on the up. Yes, I'm less physically attractive now than I was three years ago. (laughs) Uh, That has not mattered. Yeah, it gets replaced by other things, confidence, Mm -hmm. successfulness or ambition Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, a certainty in yourself. Yes. Uh, So... You're on the up and up as long as you're as you're taking care of yourself. The fear of being alone, I don't think is warranted. Uh, for anybody, I don't think that's a good reason to enter <laughs> yeah. into a relationship. If anything, but- <laughs> I would recommend this person dive into why you think you need the perfect person <laughs> yeah. and why you think that you are at risk of being alone. But for like the, uh, what feeling would I encourage you to walk away from this question from is you're Stoked. all good, you're good, yeah. you're set. Uh, The work to be done is on yourself, on your standards, on your growth, on all of that thing, on all that. And when you do that, I think you'll be more prepared for a wonderful long-term relationship. Yeah. Cool. Next is in response to our topic of reasoning with conspiracy theorists from last week. um, I don't have to be an expert and able to sufficiently explain every issue. The burden of proof is not on me if somebody goes against scientific consensus They're the ones who have to demonstrate to me, but first and foremost, the scientific community that the earth is flat or that vaccines cause autism. I don't have to present to them that this isn't the case. That's not how logic works. And while I do agree that just throwing in a label full stop is lazy, I think putting your whole focus on emotional responses is quite petty in reinforcing platforming and spreading conspiracy theories and wacky, potentially harmful ideas. Well, you only have to. You only have to figure out how to present your side convincingly if your goal is to convince other people. Yeah. So, so the question last week was, I have someone in my life who I love who believes in conspiracy theories. How do I convince them to not? Mm-hmm. And then we give an answer. And your answer is, well, the burden's not on me to convince them. I say, well, the <laughs> burden, there's no burden anywhere. They don't have to convince you. You don't have to convince them. But if you want to convince someone that believes in what you think is a conspiracy theory, the way to do it is not to tell them 
Science is on my side. You're dumb. What you believe is dumb. And until you can prove otherwise, you're a dummy. Because <laughs> that, that might make people who believe you already think that you won the argument. But if the goal is to take someone you love, show them that they have strayed from the path of scientific accuracy and bring them over to the other side persuasively, then even if you think science is on your side, you have to convince them that science is on your side because they're clearly not convinced by the fact that the scientific community says that like they yeah. know that they know that most people think the earth is round. They know sure. that most people are anti-vax. So I think just saying that is, is one of the least persuasive ways you can convince them. So yeah, you don't have a burden except that your goal was to mm -hmm. persuade this person. That's not the, the question, question we were answering. Per the question, yeah. Well, beyond that, I would ask this individual, what, what is your goal in these conversations? Is it to, and I, I don't think you're going to like this, is it to take the moral high ground or is it to get to the truth? Uh, or is it to have a good relationship with the person? Yeah, and there can might be many. involve still disagreeing. I'm not saying that's the right answer, but your goal is going to determine your strategy. So with regard to scientific consensus, it's a solid, I mean, for most things, way of moving through the world. You're going to be, probably be right most of the time. But you would also have to admit and accept that scientific consensus was wrong about the flatness of the earth before, you know. Yeah, the heliocentric <laughs> it was uh, universe, yeah, like, the fact it, that leeches were a useful form of medicine. The germ theory of medicine was uh, was laughed out of my understanding. Like my, I don't know a ton about the story, but the germ theory of medicine, these tiny little things, and you had to wash your hands in some ridiculous ritual was completely- yeah, scientific consensus was that that's dumb. It was bonkers, yes. So I think, and I think what's important is just to realize, we mentioned this with Vosh, we're not at the end of history. Uh, the scientific consensus is going to be completely upended, guaranteed. And I don't know with regard to yeah. what. <laughs> and, and, I'll, I will give you, and I'll give this person, most of the time, scientific consensus is probably right and will get upheld. But there just mm -hmm. are instances and we don't know what they are. Sure. So it's like, well, where? what is the laughing stock germ theory of today? I don't that is know. actually going to yeah. change the world and be no duh accepted science in 200 years yes and so I let me know. give you one here's a crazy one the germ theory these tiny little germs causing making you sick okay that's we all know it's true now right it's, it, they thought it was miasma before okay 5g these waves get into your brain make you sick like that's laughable today for all of, for all the reasons and what i'm all that i'm saying is appealing to science the scientific um to the scientific community is not an appeal to science, it's an appeal to authority. And if you were allowed to bet on things with one-to-one -one odds and you kept betting on the scientific community, you would win. Mm -hmm. But on any individual issue, you may be wrong. Yes. Not that you're likely to be wrong. So that's not to say not to rely on it. It's just to say that's... Hold, hold your opinion with less certainty. And the idea, this is the other yeah, thing. Yeah, I kind of picked up the vibe that you think that this person is a moron. And I would say that's, that's yes. what we're trying to soften. Well, it's beyond not necessarily the, that you're wrong in whatever you think. I don't know what you guys were debating. So with regard to logic, it's an, this is an even more interesting um, moment or question or thing. That's not how logic works. Uh, this, is, um, this is something that I'm sort of thinking through right now. Uh, what, how do I express this? I feel like people that have not um, deeply studied logic like to use it as a cudgel. That's mm -hmm. not how logic works. They'll, they use um, Latin words that uh, I saw it in one of our comments with Vosh that was reductio ad absurdum. Uh, I don't know that you're doing this, but 
the appeal to these are the rules and I'm following them without deeply understanding or even questioning, like, does this, is this always the case? Can A truly not be non-A at the same time in the same way? Uh, logic is a tool for mostly being right in the world as we have known it. Mm. Uh, it might break down. Now, I'm not saying that you need to apply this to this particular conversation on vaccines. Within the context of vaccines, we all assume we're operating in this external world with truth and falsity, fine. But I, I'm, I guess with almost everything that we do on this podcast, I'm trying to introduce doubt and room for questioning and loosen certainty because I think that that is more honest to our actual understanding of things. Mm. And so for, I don't know where you are, but I know I have never read any full papers on vaccines one way or the other. I do not, the in terms of the earth being round, I guess I've seen ships sail over the horizon. I've seen the sunset. Well, that one I feel more strongly about because for it to be false, which is require around, every, it would require a lot of require every giant conspiracy. scientist in every country with, with no dissidents, you know what and, I mean? And every pilot and yeah. every everything. So, uh, that, and so that, Round Earth, actually, yeah. despite not having been to space myself, I actually just think that it would be it's too practically hard. impossible. It would be too hard to pull off. I agree. So that's where I come to on Flat Earth. It's like, I don't even need to prove that the Earth is round, just that people are not so tight-lipped. That it, it's, <laughs> listen, vaccines, they do this, they do that. You got to look into statistically significant science. And mostly, and I have looked into this stuff. I end up on PubMed reading articles I don't understand because mm -hmm. they stop using colloquial terms they yeah. stop saying words that i understand so mm -hmm. i just go all right i'm i've gotten vaccines and been fine so I'll, i'm fine with them yeah but that's not a necessarily airtight and and so argument. but with the flat earth it's just for this to for the earth to be flat would require such a global well orchestrated leak proof conspiracy that i just go well this wouldn't function yeah based on my understanding of how organizations work and so here's for instance vaccines here's where one could land as far as i can tell i don't remember it but i've got a chart that says i took all these vaccines mmr i don't think i've ever had measles mubella rubella or mumps <laughs> like mm -hmm. it seems to have worked out for me see i don't know a ton of autistic people i think i know a ton of vaccinated people yeah uh so my daily experience of it is i think we're cool Mm -hmm. But I, I retain a sliver of openness to I've misunderstood things or well, uh, the other things. Who knows? Maybe the anti-vax community came from the fact that vaccines actually and I'm not saying this is true, but they actually do double your chance of autism. But they double it from 0.5 percent of people will just have autism mm -hmm. to if everyone in the world is vaccinated, one percent of people mm -hmm. will have autism. And you just go, well, that's worth not having polio, smallpox yeah, yeah. and measles. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the argument for anti-vax is, but. That could be one where you go, yeah, vaccines are still safe. And I guess technically they double the rate of autism. Yeah. I'm not saying that's true, but I'm just saying that's you could be looking at different data. That's something I've noticed. People might just look at different areas of the data to get whatever they think yeah. confirms them. And I don't have to my knowledge, I don't hold anything that's considered a conspiracy theory. But well, my I, higher point is if you're trying to if you're trying to be persuasive and convince someone of something, then it's to just tell them that they should be persuaded isn't going to work. So you have to figure out why is this person, what does it serve them? What's motivating them to hold this? Are they anti-authority? Is it because of something that happened in their life? Does it make them feel special or loved or superior in some way? Like what is leading to this belief? Is it just an ignorance of the data? 
And then you well, everyone's ignorant of the data. That's the point that I'm trying to make is if, if you've read a headline and you've heard it 100 oh, yeah, times, sure. you have not you don't get the data. If you know that 97 percent of scientists and by the way, you don't know that you I'm not saying you, but most people with global warming, they read one article with one headline on Vox. That's not science. That's an appeal to authority. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to get people to recognize is that in North Korea, the science shows, you know, that Kim Jong shoots an 18 in 18 <laughs> holes, right? And because if if what you do is you read the article, you read the headline, your understanding of the world will, to our eyes, be completely backwards and fucked up. And I'm simply suggesting that while not North Korea, you want to have a way of understanding the world that could have you plop down in different times and different places and still function. <laughs> and so Got that's it. what I try to... Because I, I think that was a little bit tough to follow. You're saying you want to exist in a way that would work no matter where you were put. And so if the way you work is you trust headlines and you were put in North Korea, you would think things that we think are crazy. Yes. If that's the case and you can't be sure where you are in time or space, then you shouldn't follow that system. You should have a different system that's not sure. following headlines. And this is, is kind of, yes, and similarly with religion. If like, if what I do is I agree with my community and do what makes me fit in, if you drop me in Saudi Arabia, I'll be one way. If you drop me into Salt Lake City, I'll be a very, a different way. I'm trying to find a way of engaging the universe that would lead me to the same answer independent of where I were born. <laughs> this is the really tough part. This is, this is well, I'm gonna tangent us a little, but the, the, the self-deception, and again, the incentive to come back to the same religion as your community is so strong. We had a guy, remember who was on, who was Mormon? Mm -hmm. And we're, we said, just imagine that you were born in the Middle East, you might be Muslim, so just don't be so certain mm -hmm. that your Mormon religion is right. And he said, no, I've thought about all the other religions, and <laughs> yeah. I've thought about Mormonism. Yeah, yeah. And the Mormonism is the one that to me seems the most right. And go, what are the odds? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Because there's a Muslim person saying the exact same thing in Egypt. I've read the Torah, I've read the Bible. They just don't make as much sense as the Quran. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So not to pick on anybody who believes in religion, but it's, it's more just about how easy it is to trick ourselves. Because by the way, if you are Mormon, you look around the world and you decide Judaism makes more sense, you might get excommunicated. You might, Say bye bye to all your friends. No, you absolutely will. Well, I don't know. Enough. I don't know enough about Mormons. <laughs> okay, to know I don't. I should take back absolutely. Uh, the Mormons that I have spoken to have expressed that the church is an absolutely central, absolutely right. is is a central component of the social sure. fabric so, of the community. So what I'm saying is, because again, I've started to believe that everything is just incentive structures. How could yourself, an, an assessment, not be biased by the fact that mm -hmm. if you come up with one answer. You have to say goodbye to all your friends and family. Mm -hmm. And if you come up with another answer, you get to keep living the life that you like. Yeah. It will be biased. And so, yeah, that's this thing where so you- So let's come back, and to come back to the question, similarly, when we get ego invested, which we do in anything that we've believed for a long period of time, we can trick ourselves into believing that it's the data that has us on one side, when really it's the mea culpa that we'd have to give to the other person. Oh my God, I'm such an asshole and an idiot. I was judgmental and critical and I've been wrong about mm -hmm. this that stops people from from moving. Well, you said something I thought was fascinating, which is just uh, the, the number one thing that leads to belief is hearing something a thousand times, mm -hmm. which I'd not, I, you're the first person I heard that from. And I thought it was a really interesting way to view the world yeah. and the different beliefs that people have and 
you know, how people who are similarly intelligent, but from different cultures can have such different opinions on. And things. especially, and what beyond that, it's not just hearing, it's hearing that everyone believes it. Of mm -hmm. course, you know, a consensus. Um, consensus is good often, not always. <laughs> so let's come back to the end of the question. We've kind of gone off. There was a part about platforming. Yeah. Can you that, read that? Um, so while I do agree that throwing in a label on these uh, conspiracists is lazy, I think putting your whole focus on emotional responses is quite petty and reinforcing platforming and spreading conspiracies and wacky, potentially harmful ideas. So yeah, I don't totally understand the last piece, but just with regard to the word platforming, I, I do get nervous when I hear this word because platforming is often meant to dissuade. So like if I have a podcast to stop me from talking to Alex Jones or David Icke or mm. so, like that, that you are not allowed to speak to someone or, or a member, let's go with someone that I flat out disagree with, a member of the KKK, you know, that, that, you, that allowing that voice to be heard is morally frowned upon. And that gets me nervous. I think that, uh, one, I, I, would, I don't use the word platforming. I would say speaking with or allowing them to exist on YouTube or, you know, any other number of things is uh, pretty important. Um, and so if we want to use the word platform, I would, I think most ideas ought to be platformed, mm. uh, without regard to their goodness or badness or truth or falseness. Um, it's like, God, it scares me that, that the idea, like who's making these decisions. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, your, your concern would be, okay, sure. We, and then we, we fall back to agree the scientific we all community. Agree that yeah. this certain group is evil, but then what if that certain group becomes something that to to you mm -hmm. should be heard you know what i mean mm -hmm. so that's that's the fear the other thing then this this just kind of comes full circle to my point and, and i don't mind for for this comment but uh you i assume that last time we talked about something involving emotional appeals i don't really remember but the the comment says say it again like if talking about emotional appeals is petty putting your whole focus on emotional responses is quite petty okay again I would think about your communication in general in life as, in terms of what is its purpose. Because that sentence is a little bit dismissive and a little bit insulting to me. I don't know. Do you think that's wrong? He's saying like, I don't remember if we put our whole focus, but he's basically saying- I, I actually what, don't know what we're discussing, so it's tough for me to get- I think what he's saying, and I could be wrong, is like what you said last week is, what do you say? Is petty? I'm struggling yeah. to remember. No, I would, I would allow for it in this particular case. I, I actually wouldn't. Well, this is a lesson I, I learned. I'm not saying this is you're a bad person. I'm not saying you shouldn't have written this. I had to learn that my communication is not just what I am trying to say, but it also is what the person hears. And that's not, a, I, this goes exactly against the, the book that I was just talking about. But in terms of persuasiveness, you can say the same thing in 10 different ways. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I can say, you're a moron if you believe that. Or I can say, well, I don't feel that way can you help me explain why you think that? Or I don't feel that way. Can I tell you why I don't agree? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You'll get a very different reaction, even though you're trying to express the same intellectual idea, yeah. but you're wrapping it in something different. I guess it's the same answer we gave last week that this person didn't like, but I would consider what your goal is and the rapper you're wrapping your words in. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Because I could imagine being told that I'm petty or being told that I'm a conspiracy theorist or that I'm ignoring science and I'm an idiot. Like none of this is going to be persuasive to me. I'm just going to dig in. Well, there's there's a lot of loaded words. Like, and here's, here's I'll go beyond this. It's it's not an argument. Saying that something is petty is is not 
an argument. Um, I, I don't actually know to what we're referring here, so I don't have. Yeah, a song. I, I don't have a great memory <laughs> of what the art, the the comment from last week that this is about mm -hmm. is about. But um, yeah, it's a that's not that doesn't really like convince me that it's wrong. If that makes sense, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. No, where I come back to, and I'll, I'll just reiterate once more. Uh, I don't mind the petty thing personally. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just. I, this is an advice that I. This is a piece sure. of advice I got that was really life changing. It's like, hey, you should just think, what's your goal here? Sure. Is your goal to say what you want? Mm -hmm. Then you should say what you want. Is your goal to be persuasive? Then you should figure out what words will be most persuasive. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm I this was a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It completely changed my life. I'll try to come back to the core of the question. This, I assume this individual has a, a feeling or a belief or a knowledge in, in their, their sense of uh, vaccines. So what I would say is, how do you know what you know, specifically? And you would, I assume, respond, I know it because the scientific community says that. And which I would ask you, how do you know that? And I assume you say, I read something about it. Um, and I would just encourage you to recognize that you did not probably in this particular case. And if you and if this is I want to be the other thing I want to be clear about is if you are a vaccine researcher mm -hmm. and you have done the studies and you've done it and you've investigated it, you've been in the I'm going to answer you very differently because this is no longer an appeal to authority. That is science. Yeah. The doing the investigating is the science. The reporting on it is removed from the science. It's an authority. It is subject to propaganda. It is subject to influence of money. It's subject to all these different kinds of things. So if your answer is, I've read it in many headlines. I've read, I even read the article. The article is not, you know, I read the abstract. That's again, not the data. Like how do you know that it's not, that there's not something going on? If your answer is anything short of a comprehensive investigation, I would just encourage you to recognize it. Oh, wow, I don't, my, no is not, a good word for this. Um, I believe what I've read is a more appropriate word for it. And I believe, A, that there is a scientific consensus, and I believe that the scientific consensus is likely to be right. But that's going to leave you with fewer, you will appear, you will, I think, appeal to logic less because we are away from logic yeah, at yeah. this point. We're at practicality. We're at um, yeah, I don't want to belabor it because I feel like we're going long on this. Yeah, yeah no. No. well, I think this is the, this is the heart of, of the question is, you seem to think that your epistemology is superior to that. tighter and airtight. And I'm saying that while it is maybe, because like consensus is generally good, it's got a lot of problems. And the germ theory guy is going to get you <laughs> from time yeah. to time again. So it's a better bet to hold the belief lightly, get your vaccines, fly around the world. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about falling off the edge, but remain open to, to input. Um, that contradicts that without deeming it logically inferior. Sure. And I, and to summarize my point, I would say I seem I'm if I had a kid, I'd probably vaccinate them. Oh, yeah. I, I think the earth is round. Yeah. But in terms of the argument where you say the burden of proof isn't on you, it's only on you if your goal is to convince the other person that they're wrong, which well, I think was yeah. your question last mm -hmm. week was how do I different person's question? Get yeah, this per sir. How do I someone asked, how do I get mm -hmm. a person who believes a conspiracy theory? to change their mind. Well, oh, yeah. if that's your goal, the burden of proof is on you only in the sense that you're trying to prove to them that they should change their mind. So, I, I mean, I don't care what you're, yeah, well, you don't think that's fair or not, but if you don't, <laughs> if you don't accept the burden of proof, then they'll continue to believe what they believe and you'll continue to believe what you believe, which is sure. fine, unless that's not okay to you. Well, I guess where it matters is with the decision to vaccine, vaccinate your own child is um, 
who's the burden of proof on? I mean, forget the burden of proof. It's, is this going to make them healthy or sick? And, and really, that's right. It's like, well, this, their, their question wasn't about vaccinating their own kid, though. It's mm-hmm. literally about someone else disagrees with me. And how do I get that? Well, that was a separate. Anyways, we've been on this for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> we talked around it. Hopefully we got to it. Next is I am an engineering student and an aspiring entrepreneur who wants to have my own tech startup as well as content create like you guys. I admire you so much for a variety of reasons, um, but especially for being people who actually followed through with the advice of the four hour work week and launched your own successful business. Based on what Ben and other entrepreneurs with businesses or with business degrees have said, college level business classes seem a lot less helpful for building a company than real world experience in books. To that end, especially since technology and platforms have changed throughout the years, what skills or information do you wish you learned earlier or are the must-haves and the most valuable to you as entrepreneurs, i.e. learning Facebook ads, coding slash web development, SEO, etc.? How would you recommend acquiring those skills? Okay. Definitely not college. You're right there. Mm-hmm. You nailed it. Uh, as far as I know, there's not a single college class that does this. There might be one at Stanford on entrepreneurship, but I've never seen it. Number one skill. Uh, is not a skill. It's a drive. That's four-hour work week. That is, why do I want this? Because the meta skill is having gas in the tank to do everything. Mm-hmm. And so getting clear on what you get out of, you don't have to do your nine-to-five, what you get to do, I get to travel, I get to live a life of freedom, doing things that I want, baseline. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the other skills, you mentioned SEO. No, you mentioned all these other things. Well, like, I used, I, For instance, I used to say coding because we would we were not tech smart. Mm-hmm. And I used to be like, man, I wish I could code because this would be so much easier and faster and I yeah. could make a custom site. But I, in hindsight, I actually think it might have slowed me down because mm-hmm. I would have spent time coding instead of thinking about the high level stuff. Yeah, yeah. To me, the number one skill would be marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that is what makes a business successful. You know, I have to say that could be reflective of our business, you know, because if we if we were Google or something like that, coding would be the most important skill. So keep it. This is all coming from our perspective. I don't know. You th- I mean, you think I know Facebook spent a lot of time coding, but you think they rose to be a massive take Google. Huge there was because they Google 100 percent had better search results than sure. But Facebook was significantly better than MySpace from a code perspective? No. Well, you can argue that this is marketing, but um, positioning it to, That's marketing. to hit. Yeah, positioning sure. Positioning is marketing. Um, it's yeah. important, but it's not. I think I think your perspective of how important it is at the number one is reflective of our company. I think if you speak to other very successful companies, Maybe. it'll be up there. I think oftentimes a superior product gets beat by an inferior product with better marketing. It can happen. Sure. Sure. That, that's this is my opinion. Yeah, maybe I'm marketing. Crazy, I think here's where we agree, and I think everyone would agree, regardless of their business, is very important. Mm-hmm. It's uh, and, and it's not what you're taught in high in college. That's no. the other thing. Marketing in college, I took marketing classes, and it was uh, branding. Yes, and that's the number one thing I'd recommend is marketing step by step by Evan Pagan. It'll completely reshape how what you think marketing is, and it will redefine it for you in a very useful way, and it'll give you step by step exercises for how to better market your business and how to think about marketing. Yes. I love the program. I literally text the founder <laughs> two days ago to try to figure out how we can get a link to promote it because mm-hmm. I, I think it's excellent. He's in Whistler mm-hmm. snowboarding, so he's taking his time. But yeah, marketing step-by-step, that's the best thing that will teach you marketing. And in my opinion, high-level marketing and and understanding consumer psychology is the most useful skill. That's what marketing winds up being is uh, understanding people. Yeah. And and yeah, it's not Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. It's not SEO at a high level. It's understanding what makes someone want what you have Mm -hmm. Uh, at that point. 
other skills that are going to become important. Well, you know, it's it stays with people at this point. I've recommended many times Running Lean by Ash Moria, which is about interviews to find out what problems people have in your areas that you're interested in. So with four hour work week, you're going to go through, you're going to talk about your interests. You're going to talk about what the market needs. This book will take you to interviews with your ideal customer uh, that's going to say, hey, in our case, uh, we're which of these things do you care about? Do you want confidence? Do you want charisma? Mm-hmm. Do you want uh, to live an amazing lifestyle design? Do you want X, Y, and Z? And it's going to help you hone in on the exact problem that people have. And then the book is going to teach you how to propose various solutions to them. You know, okay, so in, I want to teach you charisma. I can coach you. I can give you an online course. Mm-hmm. I can give you this. I can give you a book. I can give you a pill. You know, which of these are going to be most Pill was hard. I looked into pill. There's beta blockers. Pill was tough. Right? There's there's there is, there's yeah. butterfly. There's there's pills that you can take before you go on stage that allegedly I've never taken them. Uh, reduce staging. I mean, yeah. there's there's. I was trying to make a pill that was a testosterone boosting, beta blocking, charisma pill. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it turned out that the best way to do it was to take individual blood samples from people yeah. and then get them a custom pill. Mm. Which at that point I just went, okay, this is complicated. This isn't for us. But you can solve this problem in a number of ways. You can sell people a watch and say, yo, chicks love this. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, like, that's how, you can sell confidence in a shirt or car, and it often is. Seven dollar time XP. <laughs> <laughs> so that is going to teach you how to find a problem and then a solution that fits the market that you can that you can deliver. Can I hop in? Mm-hmm. One mistake that I think people make is they they ask people in well the worst mistake is to ask a friend, is this a good idea? Would you buy it? Mm-hmm. Then they go find their ideal customer. And they ask them in a focus group, mm-hmm. would you buy it? And then they take people at their word. Yes. And the best lesson that I learned, and I don't remember where I learned it, was until someone takes out their credit card, everything they say is garbage. They could either dislike you and they're trying to make you stay in your job. They could like you and make you try to stay in your job. They could just be trying to be supportive of you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the you get these people, you ask them what their problems are, you ask them how the best way to solve it is, you come up with what you think is the best way to solve it, and then you literally pre-sell it yes and you see if people will buy it you because build, i think yeah. a lot of times you can get false positives and false negatives from asking people's opinions mm-hmm. and the anecdote from the source that i now forget is that 10 people in a focus group will tell you yeah that'd be great and you say okay cool i have 10 of them in my car and i've already told you the price so mm-hmm. do you want them and all of a sudden everyone's like "Ooh, mm-hmm. you know <laughs> ah, ugh, things are tight yeah so yeah it's 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 about finding the people finding out what they need that you want to create and then actually collecting money to fund the process of creating it. Yeah. So if you think of this, this whole stage of the business is about building your, it's kind of like if you're skipping rocks, I just, I just watch a rock skipping video. It's like finding the right rock to even start with yeah. before you throw it. Yeah. Like it, don't just pick one up. Like you're refining, no, not this one, not this one. This is product market fit. Mm-hmm. You have to find the right one before you even worry about chucking it. By interacting with the market. By interacting with the market. The mistake people do is they just go into a hole mm-hmm. and they work for two years to create something and they bring it out and they said, I made this and no one wants it. Yes. So when you say finding the right rock, it's it's working with the people you want to be your clients yes. or your buyers to co-create sure. the rock. Sure. And this is not the best analogy. You show them the rock <laughs> and you say $20 a piece, who's buying? And you get enough and you're like, wow, like 80% of the people I talk to like want this thing. Uh, now... What becomes important? Well, then the world opens up. It's like, do you want to do content marketing? You could do SEO. You could do PR. You could get on TV shows. Yeah. It really depends what your product is at that point. So I'm not going to tell you if you've got a world-changing product, you don't necessarily need to do YouTube like me. You yeah. could just skip the line and go straight to the Today Show 
end to end. Sure. Uh, you could be on, you know, what was that, OxyClean type stuff. So at that point, the actual mechanism that you use to market, I don't know what it's going to be. Um, we've obviously done content marketing, but it doesn't have to be for you. But yeah, you know, the best the best skill you could learn is is buying psychology. And if I you think, get I think that first leg, that best. product market fit, you get the right thing. Oh man, then it's fun. And <laughs> then it's just like, I I just got to put this in front of enough of the right person yeah. and they're going to want it and they're mm-hmm. going to give me their money. And then I have to worry about production and then I have to worry about the team. And then I, oh my God, shit's breaking. And, but get that part right. What a lot of people do is they speed through that or they skip it or they just pick one rock that they really like. And yeah. they say, everyone needs this and nobody actually does. I want to just add one, one more thing. I don't want to make this too long, but uh, the thing that a lot of people also skip is selling something valuable. Mm-hmm. So we talked about people selling courses that teach you how to get rich, but the people who take the courses aren't getting rich. That person might know a lot about marketing, but not have created something that's value additive. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So the other thing to think about is how much am I going to charge for this and how certain am I that it's worth more than that to the people who buy it? And this product's not for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. But it's for the people who do buy this, how confident am I that it's they're, they're better off for giving me the money and getting the product. So the problem that you've identified that, that needs to be solved, right? Like yep. if this person is, whatever, buying your course, that you need to have a high degree of confidence that the problem that they had coming in, whether it's money, charisma, yeah. jujitsu. $30 for a surf fitness course. Yes. This guy should know that I'm going to have a material increase in mm-hmm. my paddle strength and paddle endurance such that after a month, I'm like, man, I'm surfing so much more. This is worth way more than 30 bucks. And so by the way, and I should, you're right, because the product market fit extends beyond this. So you pre-sell your product and people have given you their money, but then you don't have the course, whatever. Then you develop it with them mm-hmm. and you're in close interaction. You're like, hey, is this version helping you? Is this ver-? like, ah, I got to cut that exercise or I got to add this module of how to introduce yourself. Sure, or if it's a physical product, oh, yeah. it's got to be lighter. It's got to yeah. be faster. It's got to be whatever. So you are working with that pre-sell group, not just to collect their money and go, oh, they want this thing, but to make it, again, the best Valuable, the best yeah. rock, such that when they tell their friends about it, they're like, you got to check this thing out. Yep. This works really, really Which well. Which was Gracie University. I bought yep. it, and then I got you, mm-hmm. then we got our other friend, yep. then all of a sudden there's four of us because it was so clearly valuable, yep. which and I it, think is something people skip when becoming entrepreneurs yes. sometimes. So you do all of that. People want it before they get it. Once they get it, it's worthwhile. They tell all their friends about it. Then it's fucking fun and easy. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's just putting it in front of people in, in a million ways. You could do ads. You can do a hundred different things. Cool? Yep. We're chatty today. Yeah, we're chatty. Nah, it's not that long. Uh, next is, you guys are really enlightened and bright, and I find the show nah. quite interesting. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I have a question, though. Uh, do you feel that you could have been, or do you feel that you could have happier subsistence if you weren't this understanding, empathetic, and intelligent? not meant as a pejorative here? Or does it help you to push past the struggles of life knowing that this is what life hits you with and rolling with it, the whole ignorance is bliss thing? I don't buy ignorance is bliss. Do you? I wouldn't bucket all those things together. Mm -hmm. First of all, it's really nice that you think we're intelligent and empathetic, but I could imagine a world where empathy makes you happier and intelligence is a bell curve Mm -hmm. where like being really dumb makes you unhappy but being really smart makes you unhappy and so your Mm -hmm. best bet is to have a 110 iq yeah yeah. that wouldn't be shocking and i also wouldn't be shocked if empathy was just great as long as you could do it in the way that the dalai lama does it Mm -hmm. so i i would say there's a lot of maybe there's different like happy i don't you could repeat the traits but like each trait i would treat differently because it might be that to optimize happiness 
you don't want to be super stuck in your head intellectual. Yeah. But you do want to be even more empathetic. Like maybe we're too smart and not empathetic enough Mm -hmm. or something. Maybe we're too dumb and too empathetic. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, what were the traits exactly? Uh, Understanding, empathetic, and intelligent. I think understanding is good. I think understanding is a a one-to-one line with happiness. That is my core belief today. And I'm experimenting with it still. I don't want it to become an ideology, but the world is, like your experience is. I shouldn't say the world is. Your experience is, and the degree to which you... Uh, don't understand it or operate under paradigms that are ideologically based such yeah, that if you, you have a belief if you have a belief that you know doesn't hold true it could harm your happiness yeah yeah and a great book on this is loving what is by byron katie um you know even just thinking donald trump shouldn't be president is going to make you miserable from 2016 to 2020 sure. like donald trump should be president because he is president. Yeah. That is a and much more now peaceful the, belief. Now the other half of America will get to make themselves unhappy because yeah. they think Joe Biden shouldn't, shouldn't be, be president. president. Yes. And he should because he is. So right. understanding is, to me, one-to-one with happiness. I agree. Uh, you, you cannot help but find peace in understanding. I also think that the empathy, the way I understand it, is a one-to-one happiness. I don't think empathy is necessarily that when you see someone else sad, you go into hysterics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen people who, I'm just so empathetic. I, yeah. I can't, you know, yeah. I just can't. I, I struggle to exist in the world because no, of my but that empathy. Is, that's somebody who's sad, whose sadness gets triggered by the sadness, but none of the happiness in the world connects exactly. with them at all. So I've seen this. This is like a fake enlightened thing. Just, oh, I just, I can't even process. Yeah. But I think real empathy in the sense that when you see someone upset, the sadness can come through you in a wave and then go and be gone. Mm-hmm. You know, the Dalai Lama will, when hearing a sad story, cry, mm-hmm. but he doesn't just watch the news and weep 24 yeah. seven. He's actually a very joyful person. So the one I'm not sure about is intelligence because mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that the more intelligent you are, the happier you are. I'm pretty confident if we studied it, that wouldn't necessarily be the case. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it hurts you though. So I don't have a very concrete opinion on it. That. You know, I, I bet you there's, if we assume if we treat intelligence as performance on an IQ test, which we have data for. Sorry, that's what I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Let's let's just call it that for the sake of this conversation. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if intelligence was uh, not heavily correlated. I mean, one of the things that I've seen. I guess I, it was a bell curve around 115. So I, our friend posted, again, this is just from an Instagram post from a friend who has a brother who has Down syndrome. But according to him, True. Uh, 99% of people with Down syndrome, when asked, uh, if they had, if they were happy in their lives, said yes. Now, that could just be a reported happiness that, that they might just say yes to the question. But uh, it's something like sixty-six percent of people without Down syndrome say yeah. yes. So it, it's tough to quantify happiness. Just it's it's a little less hard to quantify intelligence. But uh, that one might be a mixed bag. Yeah. Sorry, was the question what do you do about it, or was the question just what do we think in terms of the correlations to happiness? Uh, it's just, do you feel you could have had a happier subsistence? No, no, I don't think that, uh, to answer, I don't think that if I were, had a lower IQ, performed lower on an IQ test, that I would be happier. Well, correlation isn't causation, right? So it might be that people with intelligence focus a lot on achieving in the external world because Mm -hmm. they're rewarded for schooling early and then good grades basically translates into money Mm -hmm. to a lot of people's, uh, minds. And so what you would end up with is a lot of intelligent people getting pulled into chasing prestige because I heard this. If you want to make an intelligent person do something, bait the hook with prestige because mm-hmm. they're desperate for other people to approve of them, probably because they weren't necessarily, you know, the coolest kids in mm-hmm. school. 
And so all of a sudden you're saying, oh, well, intelligence causes unhappiness. So no, maybe the pursuit of money and fame and prestige causes mm -hmm. unhappiness, which correlates with intelligence. But mm -hmm. maybe you can be intelligent, release the reins on that by studying Taoism, Buddhism, whatever your thing is. And maybe some of the happiest people in the world are the intelligent people who aimed at the right things. Mm -hmm. So I definitely don't wish I was dumber, but I also wouldn't be surprised if you told me that IQ doesn't correlate with happiness. Yeah, I have. Uh, I don't wish to be dumber. Don't even wish to be smarter because I, I'm, I'm under the impression that it doesn't matter. Like, I do wish to be happier. Yeah. <laughs> like, I do wish to be more enlightened. Taller. I do wish to be. I'd be taller. <laughs> I'd be taller. <laughs> I'd be taller for sure. <laughs> um, raise your IQ now. Lower your IQ now. Add two inches of height. Yeah. I'm under the impression that what a, a better IQ would get me is more money. Well, there it. also might. I mean, I could imagine a world where if you get too smart, it's hard to get out of your head. Like maybe there is a so thing this where is, at a certain level of IQ, yeah, it's hard to be present. Maybe your mind goes a mile a minute. Maybe it breeds uh, anxiety. Like maybe it is causal. I just don't think I'm there. I don't have 180 IQ. I don't. I don't have 180 IQ, and this is where IQ gets confused with um, early patterned behavior. Mm. But my my pattern is head. You know, I'm like, I think I told you, like I lose at something or an argument doesn't go well and I stay up until mm. I switch sides to the winning side or I figure out why I actually was right mm -hmm. and I come back ready. And you it, just want to be right. You're willing to flip flop or not. But hard, right. In that case, my mental hard work appears as intelligence and it's not. <laughs> it's mm. just persistent, dogged, hard mental effort. Mm. Um, so what is coming across as intelligence isn't. It's just, I'm like a workaholic in, in my head. And so in that case, it definitely gets in the way of happiness. Mm. But whatever my raw IQ is, I don't think gets in the way of happiness. It's, it's, it's the mental activity of desiring to be right that can sometimes be misconstrued for intelligence. Sure. I'm just thinking per maybe when you get to the levels of Elon Musk, it's impossible to turn it off. Maybe it is just tough to be happy when you're at that level. I don't know. I don't think so. I, I could be wrong, but that's not my impression. My impression is that the mind and one's ability to step outside of the mind is not related to intelligence levels, but to fear and pattern behavior and trauma and all that kind of stuff. So, but I don't know. Cool. That's the last one for the regular podcast. Oh, okay. Wow. Cool. All right, so that's it for the cast today, guys. Thank you to everyone who watched. And again, thank you to the patrons. We're going to go down answer all of our Patreon questions. If you want to join our Patreon, the link is in the description. That helps us really keep this thing going. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we, we we love it either way, and we appreciate everyone who watches and, of course, all of you patrons. So we're going to hop over to them right now. Yeah, it's also probably an additional hour of content each week. So it was you guys, three hours. It was three week. hours last week. So yeah, so if you're watching this or listening to this and you wish that there was more, there is. Mm -hmm. It's just uh, in our Patreon. Cool. All right, peace guys. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.